0: And howdy. Welcome to another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. I am pleased to be joined by one half of the Keeping Carlson podcast. Elon Dubrowski.
1: Elon, how are you doing? Great, Steve. Thanks a lot for inviting me on the show. Uh, My co-host Brian was on a couple weeks ago and I thought he did a great job. So I'll try my best to live up to it at least somewhat.
0: Hey, you tell Brian that his... Friggin' best hockey names kickstarted this whole wormhole for me. I thought I was just going to throw one name at him. And then he had like 15 more for me. And now I feel like I have to look up the best hockey names for every draft. And it's, it's way too much to live up to. I'm not doing it on this pod, by the way. I didn't, I didn't end up having time. So if you have some, I'll gladly steal them. But Brian has, has forced me to waste so much time just thinking about Uh hockey names. And no, you don't
1: have you don't have to worry about that from me. I think Brian and I have a slightly different sense of humor. I don't know if I really get as excited about someone with a somewhat unique name as Brian does, but uh, yeah, that that was good, and I think that was good for nineteen ninety eight or whatever it was. Now, in two thousand eight, we've got too much meat in this draft. We don't have time to joke about the names. Absolutely,
0: you said it. We're we're redrafting the two thousand and eight NHL entry draft, and I know this one is something special for you guys having named your podcast after a guy from this draft. So, Elon, what do you remember from this draft other than Eric Carlson?
1: Oh, no, it's named after John Carlson. What are you talking about? Right. (laughs) But but, (laughs) no, uh, obviously, this was a cool draft. Also, as I grew up in Ottawa, just like Brian, my co-host, and so that's probably why we were excited about Eric Carlson at the time. And this draft actually took place in Ottawa and so yeah, it was exciting. I don't obviously remember too much about the draft. I I I should give a general caveat here that i play fantasy hockey that's like what my podcast is about and i love talking about it, and i love diving into the numbers but i'm not like a big you know like there's gonna be some players as we go through it that maybe i haven't even heard of if they didn't become fantasy relevant at some point and i was looking up like okay beach did he ever play in the nhl And i realized he didn't or like Filatov, who apparently was on the ottawa senators for like a couple seasons so we have players like that who i won't have that much to talk about uh but it look, like just looking through I mean the real experience I want to share with you is just looking through this list to prepare for this podcast and there's some like really fun names here as you go through I feel like this might be the biggest like d heavy like of like really good surprising d like a lot of your previous episodes I feel like you talk a lot about all these defensemen who were drafted just because they were big and the you know the teams thought they needed some big stay-at-home defenseman but here we've got like a big like a wealth of offensive defensemen. it's gonna be really fun to try to rank these guys
0: yeah, 2008 is definitely the most defenseman heavy draft and really it set it sets off like right from the start with how many are drafted in the top 5 and they don't all end up panning out which we'll get to, but certainly these are guys who have run basically the Norris Trophy since Lidstrom retired and mm-hmm. will continue to do so for years to come most likely because The youngest guys from this draft class, they haven't even turned 30 yet. Um, And you mentioned that this draft took place in Ottawa. It was given to them in 08 because in 05 the lockout happened and they were supposed to host it. And it ended up just getting held in a hotel because of the lockout. And that's, you know, that kind of sets the precedent for what's likely to happen with. Montreal getting a future draft in the mm-hmm. next few years because obviously they were supposed to host the draft this year and, and COVID knocking those plans out and the NHL is probably going to draft remotely means Montreal is probably going to
1: host in a couple of years instead. Right, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, a lot of things are going to be do- done remotely. I'm a big Survivor fan, and the Survivor finale, is apparent. the reunion show is going to be over Zoom or something. I'm very curious to see how they're going to deal with that. That's, that's my number two after this uh, draft that was supposed to take place in Montreal. But I do want to see what's going to happen with the Survivor finale. But now, right. Okay, that's really off track. Do you want to just like, forget about the 2008 draft and just talk about what's going to happen on Survivor? We've got two episodes left. Uh, <laughs> big swing in the last one. But okay, no, let's focus. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, like... Are you gonna go back and redraft some some old Survivor seasons?
1: <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Put together an all-star season of my own. Uh, so I was also looking at like, just you're trying to get a sense of 2008, try to get back to where I was. And there's some fun things that happened that year. You know, the song low, 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 low. That song by Flowrider, that was the top song of the year. And uh, The Dark Knight was the highest grossing movie of 2008. So that was a fun time. The best picture though, no Country for Old Men. I saw that movie and I have to say, like, I didn't get the hype so much. Like I thought, thought, thought it kind of fizzled at the end. But I know a lot of people are going to drag me now and they thought it was like a really exciting movie. Maybe I'm just not you know, deep enough to understand it fully. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Elon. That was a fantastic <laughs> movie. Yeah, and I, mean, I, did,
0: I, I still don't understand it, but it was awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the next year's uh, best picture, because maybe really if we were going to talk about the best movie of 2008, you should look at the 2009 best picture because it's usually like movies that happened in the previous year and A Slumdog Millionaire, which is a very different picture than No Country for Old Man, for sure. I guess we could talk about hockey though. Uh, yeah, Ovechkin uh, had an amazing year that year, right? <laughs>
0: 2007-8. He 60. did he did and 08 is the year that the penguins and red wings they meet in the cup final mm-hmm. for the first of a of a back to back cup finals for those teams and it's also the first year of analytics so if you go oh. back and you look at courses and stuff like that 0708 is the first season that we have data for that stuff and to this day the red wings team that wins the cup this season holds, they've got the best Corsi 4 percentage by any team for a single season at 59.1%, which is just like utter domination. And I can only imagine that if Corsi came in at a time when like a team randomly wins it with the if the washington capitals the 2018 washington capitals who i think they had like a negative Corsi 4 percentage when they won it if they would have won it that year then like analytics would not have been nearly as popular but it just so happens that like the absolute best analytics team since it's been recorded happens in the first year
1: of so analytics
0: And I can only imagine, like, there weren't a lot of early adopters, but the people who were on board were like, sold!
1: (laughs) Got to imagine that must be then when the legend of Pavel Datsyuk maybe took a life of its own. If it's the first year of analytics, he leads his team to the cup, and he's the one who everyone loves for having, you know, driving play so well throughout his whole career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Magic Man, he featured prominently in one of our previous redraft pods. Actually, the, the 98 redraft pod. Yeah. He displaced Mr. Vincent Lecavalier. Uh, a couple yeah. other things from 08 was that was the summer of Matt Sundin's free agency. He's you know he's he's flirting with Montreal and then he doesn't end up signing with Vancouver till like Christmas. But that was like a huge story for that whole summer. I barely remember that at all but just in the research for this pod it was like oh yeah that that strange thing did happen
1: (laughs) I actually remember it well I was in grad school in Vancouver at that time so it was exciting and I I was thinking, oh maybe I'll actually be able to go see a Canucks game with Sundin I think I did now I don't remember actually any game that I saw but I do remember being excited at the time that Sundin was coming to the city I was living in I definitely have a couple things I wanted to mention about this season though. Uh, so I saw, so Ovechkin scored 65 goals that year, 2007-08, which by the way is Eric Carlson's number. Maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, highest goal goal total for the Maurice Richard trophy ever. So this trophy only started in 98, 99. And OV has the highest number of goals since that. And it was at the time and still is, I guess, the highest number of goals since Mario Lemieux back in 95, 96 with 69 goals, a very nice total. So yeah, these are the days of lots of goals that we're going to talk about soon. Obviously, Steven Samkos, and he's going to have his own 60-goal season. Uh, but yeah, those, we, maybe we were, we were on the cusp of a 60-goal season this year that just got cut short, which is too bad. But yeah, it's been a while since we've seen those types of years.
0: Yeah, Ovechkin was absolute bananas. And I mean, he, he really, he still is. Um, do you want to break down the actual draft order to kind of set the table here?
1: Yeah, sounds great. Actually, one more thing I just want to mention that I thought was interesting about this season. Uh, this is maybe more as a sense fan, like I really noticed. If you recall, so Detroit played Pittsburgh. It was the first of two times in a row that Detroit played Pittsburgh in the finals. Both year, Marion Hosa, former senator, was on the losing team. And so I remember we all thought it was really funny that he left Detroit, I think, to go... Where he left Pittsburgh to go to Detroit to try to chase a cup. And then the next year, Pittsburgh ends up winning the cup. But then uh, Hossa finally gets his cup with the Chicago Blackhawks the following year. So that was like a little fun storyline going on for Hossa fans over that stretch of time. But okay, with that, I'm good. I'm ready to get into this draft.
0: Well, you got me thinking about Hossa now and how hilarious would it have been if the Flyers end up winning that 2010 cup over the Blackhawks. (laughs) And it's like three years in a row, a bridesmaid.
1: Yeah, he's, he'll be the uh, personification of the Buffalo Bills, but for hockey.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Okay, so the actual draft order in 2008, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they finished dead last, but they win the draft lottery. So there's, there's no movement in the draft order as a result of that. And since Rick Dudley's no longer the GM of the Lightning by this point, they're not going to trade the number one overall pick this time around. It's actually to the point where the Lightning are, they've pushed all in, they've announced who they're going to take well before the draft, it's going to be Stamkos, they start the scene Stamkos campaign, it's, it's wonderful, it's, it, they're telegraphing their pick, everyone knows, so it, it kind of takes some of the drama out of it, but at the same time, I think, uh, I think it was uh, ultimately a positive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess there wasn't really any doubt he had that great junior career. And obviously you can't argue with the results. Stamkos is having an amazing professional career. Uh, Like, when's the last time there has been drama around the first overall pick? Like, I guess maybe Hishir over Nolan Patrick a a little bit. But I feel like every season we, for the most part, know who it's going to be. Maybe Hughes and Kako. Recently there was, I know like Cam Robinson was like debating a lot about maybe it should be Kako. But I, I feel like... I've been able to accurately predict and I, I don't follow prospects that well. So I, I feel like it's been a while since there's been drama. Do you have one that comes to mind where there was a real shocker with the first overall pick?
0: Uh, shocker, not necessarily, but certainly the nail Yakupov draft. I did not, Oh. I, I was not keen on Yakupov. I wanted Galchenyuk. Turns out both of them, like, <laughs> Not that not that great, but um, everyone in that draft ended up not being that great. Yeah, it it sure seems like you either have an awesome pick at the top or your draft's not going to be very good.
1: What was that Kevin Costner movie? He was like the GM of a football team and he had the first pick draft. Yeah, that was a That was a shocker. Vontae Mack. (laughs) Vontae Mack. (laughs) Crazy pick. (laughs) Anyway, maybe, maybe that'll happen uh, this year. Maybe, like, what's that guy? So Lafreniere is the one everyone assumes is going to go first. So if it's by field that goes, that would be a pretty exciting moment, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it would be. And, I mean, there's some chatter he might slide out of the top, too. So that would be
1: shocking in its own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do we want to talk about Stamkos now, or do you want to wait until we, we do our draft here?
0: I think it's safe to say he's going to get redrafted, so we'll save <laughs> it for that. Fair. At number two, the LA Kings. This is as high as they've picked in franchise history. They also had the number two pick in 1986, taking a guy, I don't remember his name, but uh, here they take Drew Doughty, who is drawing comparisons to Ray Bork at the time, and turns out that's, uh, that's pretty good. He's also getting a ton of knocks for having been overweight, but he loses like 25 pounds before the draft.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't know this. <laughs> That's so interesting. I want. I need to
0: find a picture now. Yeah, he's looking quite svelte uh, <laughs> when in the draft video. And I was also like just, just watching the old TSN broadcast, the clips that are available on YouTube. Bob McKenzie is reporting that the Kings received two serious offers for the number two pick to the point that Uh, the GM Dean Lombardi has to go to ownership and he asks if he's on the chopping block, like does he have to make the playoffs this year or is he allowed to stay the course with the rebuild and ownership says, stay the course they take Doughty and the rest is history.
1: Yeah. And I mean, doesn't take long for Dowdy to be an impact guy. I guess he'll also get redrafted, so we can talk about him more then. But it's not as if they were like, okay, we got to only think about the future. It's like two seasons later, and he's getting 59 points. So I think they made the right choice of sticking with it. I, I guess also he's going to be the guy we talk about of everyone that's relevant that like has got a couple cups to his name. So even though we're probably going to be having some debate about where Dowdy should have been drafted, uh, you can't really argue with the Kings going with him here.
0: Yeah, I just wish that I could have dug up what those offers were because that's the most intriguing shit that you can can find. Anytime someone tells you about a trade that didn't happen, God, that's just catnip to me.
1: (laughs) I mean, obviously everyone should have just traded down because you could have gotten Eric Carlson much later. So there was no point having one of these high picks in this draft.
0: Yeah, dumbasses.
1: So (laughs) at number three, the Atlanta Thrashers, they take –
0: zach bogosian
1: yep i guess he's someone we could talk about now because i don't think we're going to be redrafting him unfortunately though he's still in the league i don't know how many people listening can guess what team he's on now uh tampa i noticed i I didn't remember but uh, he's He's on tampa yeah Uh, unless i'm getting that wrong i saw that he recently i thought shen
0: was on tampa
1: do i have this wrong okay let me take are they both on tampa no, no, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Bogosian played, uh, looks like five, six games, uh, eight games with Tampa just recently before the pause, most recently against the Leafs, where he was plus one and took a shot in Get 14 minutes out. and a half of ice time, traded sure. from Buffalo. There was a time when Bogosian, like obviously, there was a time when people thought he'd be good when he was drafted third overall, but then there was also a time. So, like, Brian and I have been doing this fantasy hockey podcast since I think around 2012, 13 which is like a long time. It's, it's wild how fast it's gone by. Uh, so like I, I sort of, these names pop up to me in terms of like, I remember we used to talk about this person at some point on the podcast as being relevant, like asking, should people add this guy to their fantasy team? And Bogosian like was coming up. Like, first of all, he goes to Winnipeg and I guess pretty quickly, Dustin Bufflin takes over as the you know, top power play guy to be relied upon. But I remember specifically related to our podcast, he gets traded to Buffalo in the Evander Kane trade, right? It's, like, an interesting haul that Winnipeg brings back. It's in, like, Myers, who we're going to get to, and then Drew Stafford, Brandon Lemieux, Yoel Armia, who's actually been really good this season for Montreal, and then a pick that turned out to be Jack Roslevic. Uh But, yeah, Bogosian comes, and in 2014-15, I saw that he was getting a shot on the top power play. It was, unfortunately, on this, like, terrible Sabres team where it doesn't matter. You know that person's not going to be fantasy relevant, regardless of uh, deployment. But then, yeah, he had that one half season where he's playing on the top power play, and then by the next season, it's Rasmus Ristolainen in in that job, and that was kind of it for Bogosian's fantasy value.
0: Yeah, he is the first of many guys who, from this draft class, that you got to wonder what might have been if he'd have had like a, a slower development process. Like I think it's seven of the top 10 picks from this draft make the leap right from this draft into the nhl as 18 Mm -hmm. year olds and he's one of them and there's a whole bunch of injuries in there so he and he really never gains confidence and it would have just been awesome if he would have taken a year or two to dominate his own age group and then come up and maybe he's joining Doughty and, and Petrangelo uh, in you know Norris races in any given year
1: yeah I guess it's that's the big question I guess you've been have you've been discussing that kind of thing a lot over these series of podcasts I know it's like a big that thing it's always discussed in Ottawa it's like Alexandre Daigle. what if they let him play in the AHL first season maybe he could have been the superstar we all hoped he'd be and like what, what's your general thought on that it sounds like you err on the side of letting the players play in the minors for a little bit before they come up, unless it's like a Connor McDavid type of superstar that they could come in and dominate in the NHL. Yeah. I, well,
0: the thing is, is that I find development so fascinating because I don't think there's any one right answer for any given player person. Yeah. Like I coach high school basketball and the level of development that different kids are at is insane when they're in their teen years you look at some kids and they're a little bit doughy and have like no facial hair or no signs of having hit puberty but they're like six foot two and not not super coordinated but you're like well that kid hasn't even like hit puberty i'm not even sure he's felt testosterone Right. He's going to be like a six foot five jacked monster in like six years, and so is you got a Drew Doughty story. No, <laughs> so you got to figure out what the correct development plan is for for that type of player versus a kid who's sucked his adrenals dry of all the testosterone they're they're possibly going to have and they've got more hair on their face than I do. And it's like, all right, well you're, I'm I'm certain that you're done growing. So it's just, yeah, everyone's got their own development plan and everyone's got their own mentality about how their own development should go, let alone input from, from people advising them on this stuff.
1: So I I don't know what the
0: right answer is, but teams are investing millions of dollars into figuring this stuff out
1: you know that this was a test steven you passed clearly you're a professional you know a typical pundit would just say like there's one answer and then say their strong opinion but you're giving the much more reasonable it depends which obviously makes a lot of sense i get it
0: well yeah because so here's kids from the first round who make the leap right away stamkos Doughty, bogosian shen philatov bodker bailey Sabisa and Tikhanov and aside from Stamkos and Doughty who are the number one and two basically can't fail it's like Bailey is Mm -hmm. the only guy who ends up muddling through and coming out the other side as like a legitimate impactful player and Bailey and Stamkos and Doughty they didn't fail so clearly the development plan worked well enough for them they were good enough to play in the nhl right away and eventually they figured it out but other guys it like we'll get to them but it it goes horribly
1: yeah it must be tough as a a gm you do all this research and draft a player but that's only like such a small part of the battle then you have to figure out what's the best way to prepare this player to get the most out of them random fact uh, from wikipedia at the time that zach bogosian was drafted he was the youngest person to play for the thrashers In uh, his first game the next season, he was 18 years and 87 days, surpassing Ilya Kovalchuk, who was 18 years and 172 days. Uh, I don't know if that record still holds with the Winnipeg Jets, but back in 2009 or whatever, Bogosian was the, or I guess 2008, he was the youngest ever Atlanta thrasher.
0: Well, there will will be no more Atlanta Thrashers. so he
1: holds it. (laughs) Unless there was someone the next year. All right, we got an exciting player next.
0: Well yeah so talking about different developmental plans at number 4 the St. Louis Blues take Alex Petrangelo and they give him 9 games in each of the next two seasons and just to get his feet wet and then shuffle him back to junior and then basically as soon as he comes up at 20 having played out his junior eligibility he's awesome right out of the gate
1: mm mm-hmm. yeah i saw that he uh, wasn't eligible for the Calder Trophy in his rookie year because they gave him small stints in two seasons. And apparently if you've played more than six games in two straight seasons and you're not eligible for the Calder. So that was too bad for him, I guess. But yeah, once he finally became a full-timer, he's been good basically the whole time. And we're going to have a fun debate about where Petrangelo should rank here with a lot of these defensemen. Uh, is it just me or does this draft have a lot of players who haven't changed teams? Their whole career like we've already talked to stamkos dowdy now petrangelo we're gonna talk about josh bailey like uh i feel like usually you don't see this or, or maybe it's just like it's a later draft than you've ever done so maybe now we're getting into players that maybe will still change teams before it's all said and done but these are I feel like lifers on their teams yeah certainly that's a part of it and when you
0: draft a franchise type player in the first round odds are they're not going anywhere in the first 10 or so years of their career. So I think, I think that plays a huge factor in that.
1: Yeah. Unless your team is owned by Eugene Melnick and then things go a different way. Yeah.
0: Scrooge McMelnick. (laughs) Okay. So at number five, the Islanders are picking, but the Toronto Maple Leafs trade a second and a third to move up from seventh to fifth and take luke shen and when gary bettman's announcing this trade ottawa goes apeshit with the boo birds Mm -hmm.
1: why because it's toronto oh okay (laughs) oh not because they dislike like luke Shen or something no no it's 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 when gary
0: bettman's announcing the trade not when shen gets picked oh that's funny but yeah, I'm well, sure he
1: got booed many a time. there. Too bad for uh, Luke. Is he related to Braden Shen? He is his older brother. Ah, okay. There's a lot of brothers in this draft, by the way. I'm seeing there's a David Taves. This will be my version of Brian's, like, making fun of names. I'll just say interesting names that jumped out at me because they're, like, names of other NHL players. We've got David Taves. We've got Michael Stone, who I believe is, a, is the brother of Mark Stone. Uh, Chet Pickard, Chet Picard or Pickard uh, so related to Calvin, two goalies. Jimmy Hayes, uh, so I guess Kevin Hayes' brother. So, yeah, so the first brother taken was Luke Shen. The first yeah. brother who's not the better brother. This is the draft of all the worst brothers.
0: <laughs> Just the black sheep. <laughs> well, I, at least it's not as bad as, uh, as the fourth stall brother, that poor guy. Is
1: that what, Jared?
0: Yeah, or there... he got he got drafted, but he didn't make it. Poor guy.
1: Well, hopefully his brothers will lend him some money if he needs it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um,
0: so Pierre Maguire on the TSN telecast goes absolutely bananas about this Shen pick. He cannot <laughs> stop gushing.
1: Well, Luke Shen <laughs> had a. He, he's played a lot of games. Like he's not a not a bad player, I, I wouldn't think.
0: He's also on the Lightning.
1: Yeah, everyone's going to be on the Well, I feel like we're going to be telling a story soon of the Buffalo Sabres. We're going to get to, like, like, five different players that are going to touch the Sabres. And I guess we already started with Zach Bogosian. But, uh, yeah, I guess we'll also – players that end up in Tampa Bay. We've already got Stamkos and now Luke Shen and uh, also Bogosian. So maybe those will be the two stars of the draft. Uh,
0: at number six, the Columbus Blue Jackets they take Nikita Filatov, who has a ton of hype coming in.
1: Yeah, I definitely don't know much about him. I know he played on the Sens. So instead, I will yield my Filatov time to you. Yeah, so he
0: he's saying and doing all the right things coming into the draft. You know, he's he's playing over in Russia, but he stars at the World Juniors as 17-year-old. He already speaks good English. He He made... A point of learning how to speak English, because he's really committed to playing in the NHL and seems to indicate that's his dream, that's his goal. And when he comes over, Hitchcock is throwing out comparisons to a young Beret, which is just <laughs>
1: like
0: but <laughs> you think about what ended up happening, and it's it's tough, but it, it does show that Hitchcock believes in his talent. But what ends up happening. He, they break camp, he comes over right away in 08, and they break camp, and he doesn't make the team, he goes to the HL, he plays two games, scores two goals, immediately called up. He plays four quiet games, sent back down. Plays some in the AHL, he's doing pretty well, goes to the World Juniors, crushes it. He's the captain of Russia, I think he scores eight goals in seven games, something like that. He's on the Russia team that loses in the semifinal, after that heartbreaking Jordan Eberle goal right before the buzzer, and then they lose in overtime or maybe the shootout. Either way, the the famous Eberle goal comes well, cool back. We'll get to. Yeah, comes back from that World Juniors immediately into the lineup. His second game scores a hat trick. Two games later. Sent back down to the minors. Finishes out his season. He's he's close to a point per game in the AHL. Sophomore season, he makes the team again out of camp. But again, gets cut after like 13 games. Asks for a loan back to Russia. Plays pretty well in the KHL. Comes back again for a third year. Yo-Yo traded to Ottawa for a third rounder and he plays nine games gets sent down he's like no nope, loan me back to russia again and it it comes out after that i guess at some point he got he got into the gambling into the casinos or something like that and he had debts to pay off and AHL wasn't going to pay off those debts uh-huh. so he feels compelled to go back to back to the KHL and he expresses a ton of regret for not having listen to hitchcock like he tells a story about how they had made a deal and if he's if he's super committed in the defensive zone he could do whatever he wants in the offensive zone like out of system and i guess he he just couldn't hack it and i mean that first year is the only year in the first decade of the blue jackets that they've actually got a winner so hitchcock is trying to you know he's he's got to play his his, his, his veterans right he's got to play his veterans he's sticking to his defensive system and it gets them to the playoffs for the first time in franchise history so he doesn't really have room to to bring a guy along and, and groom him but i just wonder if the holes in Philatop's game were too big and if he was always going to make some poor choices or you know if if we run his career back you know 15 20 times if in half of them he doesn't have some better influences or land on a team that's going to give him some better chances or maybe slow play his development a little bit more, or if he was just always going to fail because of, because of the holes.
1: And uh... I mean, he has been playing, I guess, a career in the KHL. I'm seeing some actually only really what he has a lot of seasons where he doesn't play much. I don't know if he just gets injured all the time or if, I don't know, or if he, like, I don't know, set, being sent to the minors or whatever. Like, in 2016-17, he plays 57 games and has 40 points. That's a pretty solid season. But aside from that, I'm seeing mostly 20, like, 23 games, 21 games. So, I, I feel like this is a podcast in itself. Someone needs to go find Nikita Filatov, get some tape, and we, we've got to do some interviews and figure out the Nikita Filatov story. What's going on with this guy?
0: Yeah, it, it ends up being a little bit sad. But, I, you know, I just remember writing at the time that I wasn't a huge believer because of those holes in his game. And as it turns out, he couldn't break his way through. At number seven, the Nashville Predators, they take Colin Wilson, who on the TSN telecast, like he is already built like a brick shit house. This dude is <laughs> thick. Did you go back recently to watch this draft? uh so not all of the not all of the clips are available but yes i I went back and watched everything i could find on youtube
1: colin wilson's a guy also that there there were small stretches where we were bringing him up on our podcast and saying like oh maybe uh, colin wilson's gonna get a run going he has that one you know pretty i don't know like solid season in uh 2014-15 he ends up with 42 points he was playing in the top six with james neal so, like, he seemed like he was, like, a solid player on this Predators team. And, uh, yeah, I guess he, like, never turned into a superstar or anything like that. But, you know, he played, like, a decent number of minutes for a while. I guess just lately his career's sort of fallen off, and now he's on Colorado and doesn't even play every game and only gets around 12 and a half minutes of ice time. But it seemed like he was a really solid part of this Predators team. I'm not sure what happened in the last couple of seasons to him.
0: Yeah, I mean injuries have been a factor for him. Yeah. Basically every year like I think he tap tap or he, his ceiling is like 20 goals and 40 points in like 70 some odd games and he just he's always missing 20 plus games in a season and just kind of hanging on but he's he's still a solid pro. He's contributing to a winner in Colorado. I should mention that Nashville they end up with the number 9 pick courtesy of the Panthers, having traded Thomas Vokun to them uh, in the previous year's draft. Um, And they end up trading a second along with number nine to move up to number seven in order to take Wilson. So the Islanders have now moved down from number five to number seven to number nine and amassing a bounty of picks
1: to do so. Yeah, and they probably get the best player of the five to nine stretch. They get Josh Bailey, who's had a few really good seasons in the league. Like, I don't know who's better than him, not Colin Wilson, as, at least for uh, points.
0: Yeah, so. Bailey really settles into a very solid pro career. And as we mentioned, he jumps right to the league out of this draft and plays 15 minutes a night. And, I mean, he's, you know, he's a bottom six forward for like the first six or seven years of his career, but he eventually breaks out at 25 and has his first 40 point season. And it's, it's kind of been an upward trajectory since then. So good on him for sticking with the process and becoming something more than what it seems like he was getting pigeonholed into as a young player.
1: Yeah. Like, I guess really just what it's, I guess we skipped Bodker. I guess we can go back to him. But yeah, Josh Bailey, it's that season. I guess it's uh, 2017, 18, right. Where he starts to get a spot on that line with John Tavares for the whole season. I think he's also on the top power play and Tavares has that amazing, I think 40 goals season and Bailey ends up with 71 points in that year. It was like a, a miracle season. Cause he'd already been in the league for like eight, nine seasons at that time. And then all of a sudden he's a superstar. And then Tavares got traded. And I remember trying to speculate, you know, going into 2018-19, like, okay, so who's the real Josh Bailey? Can he still do this well, even without Tavares? And he actually didn't do so bad because he was playing with Matt Barzell, who's good. And then last season, he didn't get Tavares or Barzell. He was playing with uh, mostly Brock Nelson as a centerman and not as good, not terrible, over 50-point pace. So Bailey, Whoa. yeah, he's a, he's a tall guy.
0: Yeah, and with that 2017-18 season, it has to be mentioned that that was the Doug Waite firewagon hockey year where it was like Oprah Winfrey just handing out, you get a goal and you get a goal and you get a goal, (laughs) right? Like that that season was crazy for offense, for everyone who was involved in an Islanders game. That was my favorite team to watch that.
1: That's fun. I wonder if Bailey tried to bribe Tavares to re-sign with the Islanders. Like that was working out so well for him. And then he must have been, I'll bet you, I wonder who was more sad. Like all these uh, Islanders fans who like basically rioted every time Tavares came back as a Leaf or uh, Josh Bailey who lost the sentiment he was waiting for this whole time.
0: Right. But how was Bailey going to bribe Tavares when Tavares just got like a hundred million dollars from the Leafs and it's like, well, I can pay for your first season salary with my career earnings.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point well, you know, there's other things other than money. I don't know, maybe he's like really good at making a certain type of pasta that John Tavares likes. I don't know.
0: Well, and you know what? If, if Bailey's got an irresistible pasta, I want the recipe. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we uh, skip past them, but at number eight, the Phoenix Coyotes, they select Mikkel Bodker. And I'm wondering, Elon, where does he rank
1: for you among the all-time Danish players? <laughs> okay i actually also looked into this that's really funny that you bring that up uh i mean the question is do we have to wait for players like i think nick ehlers is probably the best one but he hasn't put that much time in yet right? yeah vodka uh, not
0: better than ehlers so yeah, yeah.
1: definitely va- oh yeah so definitely w- okay so where does he rank i was trying to just tell you who's the best ever danish player and i'm thinking it might be ehlers or maybe from what we saw this season oliver bjorkstrand is looking like he's gonna be a real gem. Uh, then we've got Franz Nielsen. Uh, I would say Bodker's probably fourth of those. And that's, all, that's as far as I got <laughs> with looking into Danish players. But what about Freddie Anderson? Oh, okay. Always hard to compare goalies? That's gonna be fun, like in this redraft that we do. I have no idea how we're gonna slot Holtby in with all these defensemen. Uh, but yeah, I guess Frederick Anderson's also much better than Mike. like Mikael Bodker is nothing, right? Like he got sold to Sens fans. As like, don't worry, we're trading away all of our best players. But don't worry, we're getting Mikhail Bodker. So, like, you're going to be happy with what you see. Which, obviously, we weren't. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. He had that one good season with Arizona. Then he got traded at the deadline to Colorado. So, I don't know if, like, Arizona, like, bumped up his deployment to up his trade value. And oh, yeah, he was return. getting
0: crazy power play time that year.
1: Yeah. So, it was smart. And he looked... Good. Like fantasy wise, you know, I was like anyone who had added Mikhail Bodker, like he definitely wasn't drafted by anyone, but anyone who had added him as like a free agent in their fantasy league was was loving life. And hopefully if it was like one of these leagues where it's like a dynasty league where you keep your team year after year, hopefully you sold high on Mikhail Bodker in two thousand sixteen and yeah, now he's back to being a nobody. But I mean, I'm sure he's a good player. Like I don't mean to talk I, I mean, I'm just having fun here. Like obviously he has a better career than most of the players in this draft, but uh, nothing nothing to write home about
0: yeah so he he's another case where there's questions about whether he got rushed right like he makes the coyotes right out of this draft class and that team has no offense so he's playing 15 minutes a night as a 19 year old rookie for the coyotes in 08 09 and they aren't good and he's not very successful and then the next two seasons he splits between the AHL and NHL doing that whole yo-yo thing that just ruins players' confidence. And he eventually makes it full-time again in his fourth pro season. But it's like by then you're 22 and they've moved on to other bigger and better things and yeah, some lost development there years there potentially.
1: Yeah, I guess that must be a hit to your confidence to play a full season in the league and then the next year be told, actually, we don't think you're good enough and you have to go down. That Yeah, that must be weird. I'm looking now at uh, who his linemates were in 2011-12 when he got back in the league. So Shane Doan as his most common, uh, one of his most common linemates. And do you want to try to guess the other? Uh, this would be almost impossible, but uh, I could just say. <laughs> it's, a, it's a name I remembered, which, which surprised me. Is it only Jokinen? No, Damon Lankow.
0: Damon Lankow. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, the... He also uh, had some time with Dean Verbata. So, he's had some good players to play with. What are we talking about here?
0: <laughs> yeah, those those were some the
1: best that Phoenix had to offer. Yeah. Also Martin Hansel was a centerman for a couple seasons. Hansel. He was good. So hot not, right now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> not not anymore, but yeah. At that point. Um, So skipping past the Islanders, we know they took Bailey at number nine. Number 10, the Canucks take Cody Hodgson. And I don't know if you remember him much, Elon.
1: Oh, yeah. I do remember him. This is going to be more of the Buffalo Sabres story that I was teasing before. Uh, But, yeah, like he was, I guess, on Vancouver. I know that he got traded in a trade for Zach Cassian who most recently we know him as a line mate of Connor McDavid this past season for a good stretch. Uh, And then Cody Hodgson goes on to lead the Buffalo Sabres in scoring one year, 2013-14, with a whopping 44 points. That was enough to lead the Sabres. Uh, Second place was Tyler Ennis, another person that was taken in this draft. So... The Buffalo Sabres, sorry, Tyler Myers was was on the team. So really this whole draft is just all the players who ended up on one of the worst teams of all time. These like Sabres teams from like 2014, 2016. Yeah, the tanking for McDavid Sabres
0: were quite special. Don't they have a situation where their goalie is making saves and they're like, no, (laughs) we have to trade you because this can't happen. That's Who funny. was that goalie again? It wasn't even like it, it was wasn't a name that you would remember, but it wasn't yeah. someone that good. But it's just like, oh, you stop that right now. It was like Jonas Enroth or something like oh,
1: that. Oh, that that sounds familiar. Yeah, and then they they definitely traded him as soon as they could. Um, but <laughs> so how did uh Cody Hodgson? What happened to Cody Hodgson? Like I remember it was looking like he was having. A decent enough career. Like I said, he led the Sabres in scoring. And, you know, whenever someone they were a bad team, but like you made me wonder at least, like, oh, how good could this guy be if he was on an actual good team playing with good players? And then the next season he just like totally disappears on the Sabres. He goes from 44 points to 13 points. Then the next year I see he plays like half a season with Nashville and then he's out of the league. What happened? So let me tell you his story.
0: Because it's it's kind of crazy. So He was such a stud prospect. He's on those amazing world juniors teams putting up mega points. He's a captain, all this stuff. And then he has this falling out in Vancouver over a misdiagnosed back injury. They're calling it a bulge disc and it turns out it's a torn muscle. So he loses basically a year and eventually it leads to him getting traded to the sabers like i think he has one season with vancouver after that back mishap but like his side is like well your doctors failed me and the vancouver side is spinning it as he's this prima donna he's like he's a a lone wolf type thing and then it, it leads to that trade and then you know, he has those intriguing seasons on those bad Sabres teams. Goes to Nashville and he's suffering from arrhythmia, shortness of breath. He's having bouts of blacking out. And so they're like, oh my God, do you have cancer? They they oh, do no. this ba- they do this battery of tests and they find out he has a genetic disorder called malignant hyperthermia that basically during strenuous exercise the body overheats the muscles become rigid and the heart's also a muscle so it gets all stressed out and like you can die from this if you're working out hard and somehow he'd been overcoming this to be a pro hockey player and like awesome and oh god his last couple of seasons in the league he tears like five different muscles because this Disease keeps getting worse and worse, so he's forced to retire.
1: Oh, okay. How is he doing now? He, I think
0: he's an assistant coach now, and he's that's good. Yeah, he's like he he can't he can barely
1: work out now. He's, but apparently it's survivable. So, okay, well that explains it. Like I'm looking like he played 18 minutes a night in 2013-14 with Buffalo, and the next season he was down to less than 13 minutes. So, yeah, like that is not a normal aging curve, well, especially for someone like that young at the time. Like it's not yeah, it was very jarring to look at the stat line and now it makes sense. He had like a serious health issue.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy and you can go back to him tearing that back muscle. Like was that it was probably related, right? So he's wow. he's I
1: don't know. An Too bad. I feel like I'm more interested in his, what would have happened with him versus what would have happened with like Bogosian or Filatov Cause Cody Hodgson actually showed us some real potential. I'd love to know how this, this career would have turned out. He probably
0: would have been awesome. Cause he was a fantastic prospect.
1: Yeah. Seemed like a slam dunk. Too bad. You told that story very well. I was on the edge of my seat.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so we go from Cody Hodgson to number 11 the Chicago Blackhawks they take Kyle Beach and he's coming into this draft with quite the reputation. He's got comparisons to Sean Avery as an <laughs> agitator. Okay. But he's huge. So he can back it up and like he's got even better skills and all this stuff, but just in terms of his desire to agitate, he's projected to be sean avery one story that i was reading that from scott burnside is that apparently in one game in the whl he starts pretending to have a hunchback to make fun of milan lucic which should tell you something about beach's ability to hold his own because my goodness lucic is not a guy that i would fuck with like NHL players will not fuck with this guy. So like, would you, Elon, would you rather make fun of Milan Lucic on the ice or make fun of a dozen tigers on the ice?
1: <laughs> I mean, I saw what happened to that uh, person whose hand was ripped off in Tiger King. So I don't know. It sounds close.
0: Yeah. I feel like Lucic is also going to rip off your hand and feed it to you.
1: Yeah uh that's really funny Kyle Beach uh I guess he wanted to prove that he was a tough guy and I don't know I guess it got him drafted high but he's the first person that never played an NHL game in this draft though the funny thing is like you wanted them kind of make fun of the Blackhawks I mean like what were you doing what a dumb pick but they obviously didn't need him they won three cups over the next like seven years so maybe they decided to just give the rest of the league a chance and just whiff on this pick
0: yeah, as as it turns out, they found that type of player in other places. And Beach is just I I guess he's just a relic to a, an older time. If he gets drafted before the 05 lockout, he's he's probably a player for a really long time. Yeah, would have been good for those pins. But... Absolutely. So, at number 12, your favorite, the Buffalo Sabres, <laughs> they make a pick here taking Tyler Myers. And before we dive into Tyler Myers, can I discuss all the tentacles involved in this draft pick? Please. Okay. So in the 2008 draft, the Anaheim Ducks have the Oilers' first, second, and third round picks, courtesy of the Dustin Penner offer sheet that... Brian Burke and Kevin Lowe almost went to blows over. Okay. So this number 12 pick is actually the Oilers pick. But the Ducks decide to trade back with the Kings, who have two other first-rounders after having taken Drew Doughty at number two. So they get number 17, which... Was itself picked up at that at the draft for LA by trading Mike Camilleri to the Calgary Flames, and they have Let me number get the whiteboard. Yeah, right. I I told you there's tentacles. And number twenty eight, the Kings had it and they traded to the Ducks. Uh, they got it from Dallas at the 07 deadline in a package for Matthias Nordstrom. So the Kings have number twelve and they decide we're going to trade back one pick with the Sabres, who have number 13. So they get an extra third rounder. So the Sabres end up taking Myers at 12. The Kings take Tubert at 13, and the Ducks take Jake Gardner at number 17, and they end up trading down from 28, and the Coyotes take Victor Tikhanov at 28. So just insane amounts of trading.
1: And the Ducks and are the only here? one. And the Ducks are the only one who get a really good player. I mean, Myers does win a Calder trophy. So Would you well, say one that those... was his peak? Yeah, well, I guess it, it must have been. He still I don't know, the Canucks still paid him a decent amount of money to go to Vancouver. So they must like him. I guess he's they like tall people, but uh, I don't know. It was always hard during those years when the Sabres were so terrible to judge Like, are these players not good? Or is it just no one would be good on this team? So I always wondered, you know, maybe Tyler Myers could be better. But then he got traded to Winnipeg. And then we quickly realized that he wasn't, like, going to be this offensive force that got 48 points in his rookie season. So, yeah, now he's just, like, a solid, I guess, defensive player on Vancouver. Like, I think he's a good player. Like, I think that L.A. definitely made a mistake. They should have just taken Tyler Myers instead of hoping that Tubert would have been just as good. Of course, they both made a mistake because we're going to get to Eric Carlson a couple picks later. And that's the real defenseman he should have taken. Uh, but yeah, C- can I just w- really quickly go through the Buffalo Sabres on these years that Tyler Myers was on the team? They have like a different leading scorer every year. It's a real who's who of Buffalo royalty here. Indulgible. Okay, so in the season that Myers gets his 48 points, uh, the leading scorer do you want to play along or do you want me to just like kind of go through here? I'm not
0: going to be able to guess. So, okay, so it's, got, it's
1: probably Jason Pommenville. No, uh, Derek Roy. Pommenville was, uh, was up there. Derek Roy at 69 points. This was still a decently scoring team at the time. The next season, Thomas Vanek leads the team in points with 73 points. And Myers has a decent also sophomore season 37. So he's you know, down from 48, but still like, you know, decent offensive contributor from the blue line. Then we get Pommenville in 2011, 12, then Thomas Vanek, so he's going to be the only two-time person on this list in 2012-13. He actually has an amazing season. That's the lockout-shortened season, and Vanek has 41 points in 38 games, and that's the year where Cody Hodgson has 34 points uh, in a shortened seasons. So that was really good. Uh, Tyler Myers somehow only had eight points in 39 games that season after being like a f- almost 40-point guy or 40-plus-point guy, so that's kind of like, oh, what's going on with Tyler Myers? Then we get Hodgson leading the next season, Tyler Ennis, leading the next season. Another person is going to get drafted in this in this draft. And then finally, the Sabres start scoring goals again. And they have Ryan O'Reilly leading the team with Jack Eichel second, 2015-16. Uh, and now we know it's an Eichel show after that. But yeah, they've, uh, they've went through some, some... And Tyler Myers could tell the tales. He's, he's been through it all. That's my story.
0: <laughs> I love it. So my probably best memory of Tyler Myers is when Kevin Hayes is calling him a giraffe. A, what, a giraffe. Okay. <laughs> is that a compliment or an insult? I'm not even sure.
1: I think it's a little bit of a uh, of friendly teasing. I guess giraffes aren't known for being especially quick. Are so. they? No, I'm saying I don't think they are known for being especially quick. Yeah. Yeah. That's the insult. I, th- I think it's mostly because he's, He's huge. Yeah. Yeah, No the day no chair, though, unfortunately. No. Do you have anything to say about Colton Tubert? I, I haven't heard of him. He played 24 games, I see.
0: I'm just wondering if they would have been better off with one bird. <laughs> okay, that's my terrible pun for the Ding. Day. <laughs> Um win. So, yeah, the Kings take Tubert at number 13. The Carolina Hurricanes take... Zach Boychuk at number 14, and I think everyone and their mom is followed by him on Twitter.
1: I was going to say, the only NHL player that uh, follows Keefe Carlson is Zach Boychuk. So he's got that distinction. And then we get
0: to number 15. The Ottawa Senators trade a third-round pick to move up three spots from number 18 with the Nashville Predators and it's the best
1: decision in franchise history. They take Eric Carlson. Yeah. Amazing. The, the the real question is, do they need to do it? Like, do you have any sense? Because I found an article from 2008 by the hockey news before the draft where they were doing like a pre-draft ranking and Eric Carlson was uh, ranked 28 in that article. So he ends up going 15th, Ottawa, had the 18th pick. Do you think that Nashville or someone else was going to take Carlson and they felt like they needed to do it or just playing it extra conservative just to be safe?
0: I mean, clearly that was the guy that they liked and
1: they,
0: they went for him. I mean, this is a franchise that kind of had a habit of doing that. I think it's, is it the year before or is it the year after that they give up the, Tarasenko pick in order to get David Rundblad. like when they like a guy I think they just go after him
1: yeah I mean well you gotta obviously it works out really well here and what, what did they give up like a a third rounder in order to co-op. so who cares right they got the guy they wanted and he ends up being maybe one of the best defensemen of all time which we'll get into soon so yeah are we gonna keep going through picks or are we gonna start because we could just easily transition to uh, our draft here and I think we're we're right where we need to be
0: Yeah, so that's exactly kind of how we go about this. I just wanted to note that only three picks in the back half of the first round aren't involved in a trade of some kind, which probably tells you that there really isn't a whole lot of certainty in this draft class, despite it being a very strong one. It Mm -hmm. sure seems that teams don't really know what they're going to get. So that's where you end up with a ton of jockeying for position. And some teams uh, do well, but more of the picks that do well are from teams that don't really move. Uh, Some other first-rounders, we mentioned Gardner, we mentioned Everlay, we mentioned Ennis, we mentioned Carlson.
1: The other Carlson. Uh,
0: Exactly. And then some later picks from this draft class who may get redrafted. Adam Henrique, Roman Yossi, you mentioned Holtby. Gustav Nyquist, Jacob Markstrom, Derek Stepan, Jared Spurgeon, TJ
1: Brody, Cam Atkinson. And uh, there's a guy that, okay, I'll just say a few players that definitely aren't going to get redrafted, but just kind of jumped on my radar because I have just random memories. Uh, For some reason, Tommy Winkles was someone that i think it was like a joke that i missed but i have a so far our podcast keeping carlson we have a facebook group and there was a stretch of like two years where everyone was always just talking about tommy wingles all the time i found i just searched wingles in the facebook group to try to find an example post here's a post from 2014 someone asked i just picked up weiss but i'm wondering if i should instead pick up wingles he has been producing last three games uh, On a lot I don't know, so that actually that was a separate thing. the the question actually I thought was funny. That so I was was trying to give an example of how Wingles was being brought up, but 2015 we have a question here. Where does sod slide in on the Wingles player index? And then apparently I answered in 2015. I'd say sod is worth at least two Wingles, probably more. So at some point five years ago, we were ranking players by how many Tommy Wingles they were worth. And I don't think this is a good story, but just (laughs) his name. (laughs) I'll always remember this guy. So how many wingles is Eric Carlson worth? Like I don't know. That's really hard. That's like taking a currency that's gone completely devalued and being like, you know, how many American dollars is like one. You know, you can't compare. I I don't don't know. It's like
0: post-World War Germany
1: where you're using using wingles as wallpaper. He's good for hits. (laughs) By the way, speaking of hits, uh, Mark Borowiecki. One of the most valuable people in fantasy, if your league counts hits. That guy still on the Sens. I guess he's had some injury issues. He's also the star of that famous video with Eugene Melnick talking about how the team is still going to be awesome, even though all their good players are gone. So he was taken in this draft. And uh, yeah, I think, oh yeah, one more player. Okay, a couple more. Uh, Remember Yori Letera? He was on that, he was on the STL line on St. Louis. Some really creative marketing there. The Schwartz, Letera, Terrace line I remember uh, it looked like he was gonna be good and then he just ended up being like the most boring person like he would, even if he was on a good line he would never actually produce so he was a name that jumped out at me and then finally Zach Smith who like there's one time I think in my life or maybe twice where I got my wife to watch a Sens game with me or just a hockey game with me in general and it happened to be a game where Zach Smith took like three penalties and like, he just kept on taking bad penalties and ever since then forever my wife, Dina, would always be like, oh, Zach Smith. He's terrible. He's always taking penalties. And then anytime we even see someone named Zach, like if there's someone named Zach on a TV show, it's like, oh, I hate Zach. It's like that Zach Smith. always saying, So yeah, she hates him. So that's it. That's it for my no names in this draft. And then we could get to the redraft. I guess, I don't know if he's going to get redrafted. So Justin Schultz was there. I don't think you mentioned him. He's still, he's having a decent career. And he had that crazy whole thing where he didn't want to sign with Anaheim. And then Edmonton got him and then it seemed like he was good, but then they... Maybe he wasn't, I don't know. You never know what these players that were on Edmonton at that time were like, were they just not being treated properly or were they good? And then he had that one amazing season on Pittsburgh. I don't know, were you planning on Was Justin Schultz someone that you were considering? He could pop up, but probably not. But the thing with those
0: Oilers teams is that they were, you know, we talked about giving players too much too soon, that sort of thing, curbing their development. And I think there's a Mm. little bit of that going on there. But funny enough, Schultz, is a Ducks pick in the second round and they use the second rounder that they got from the Oilers in <laughs> the Dustin Penner offer sheet to take him and then he doesn't sign
1: with them and he signs with the Oilers. So it just comes back around. He, it was meant to be. It was meant to be that he was going to get disrespected by all of the Oilers fans. <laughs> it had right. To been.
0: right. So let's redraft. I'm excited. And Elon, I'm going to give you the number one pick.
1: Tampa Bay, <laughs> I, you're on the clock. The thing is, I kind of like don't want it because I have no choice here, but I think I could defend it. But I'm, who would you take? Just out of curiosity before, before I make my pick. Okay. So, you know who I'm going to pick.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking that I was going to be on board with you, Eric Carlson, because he is the best defenseman since Nick Lidstrom, and it's not even close. But I'm looking at the four year run that Steven Samkos has from his sophomore season until breaking his leg. And there's a whole lot of is he in Martin St. Louis coattails? But like he might be the league's premier offensive force. I'm going to give you some numbers from that four year run. Okay. He's number one in the league in goals over those four seasons, 185. He's 33 clear of Ovechkin over that stretch. He's number one in points with 340. Henrik Sedin, Martin St. Louis, and Ovechkin are the only other guys who clear 300 over that stretch. He's got two Richard trophies. He's got seasons of 51, 45, and 60 goals. He's got seasons of 95, 91, 97, and then 57 in 48 games, the the lockout-shortened year. He gets hard votes in every single year, including being the runner-up in 2012. He's a second-team All-Star twice, where he just happens to be behind the MVP of each of those seasons in Henrik Sedin and Evgeny Malkin. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And now he's got this whole second act where he's the second banana to Nikita Kucherov on the best team in the league over the past three seasons. And he just turned 30. Like all these guys are just turning 30, but he's aging quite gracefully despite some of the horrific injuries and he's already been an absolute
1: terror. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So you're saying he's good. I think I, I could get behind it, I guess. Yeah. So here's why. So you've made the argument for Steven Stamkos and it's definitely a good one. And I definitely would not begrudge the lightning for making this pick, even if they knew what Eric Carlson was going to become. But I will say that, you know, you're telling me how Stamkos ranked compared to other players and he led the league in goals a couple of times. He has a couple of Rocket Richard trophies. That's great. Uh, but then if you sort of look at how he compares to his peers and kind of Close, right? Like uh, Samkos has 97 points. Okay, I look at the season where Eric Carlson broke out with 78 points in 2011 2012. That put him 11th in league scoring. Uh, The next highest defenseman that year was Dustin Bufflin with 53 points. So that's a 25 point difference between the top scoring defenseman and then Eric Carlson and then the next in Dustin Bufflin. If you want to count how many centers were within 25 points, of Steven Stamkos in that season, we've got Malkin, Giroux, Spezza, Sedin, Tavares, Thornton, Eberle. I don't know if he's a center, but Kopitar. So it's like Stamkos was awesome, but it, I don't even know if he was like. I guess you could say he was the best uh, forward in the league, or maybe it was like arguable between him and you know, obviously Ovechkin and Crosby and Malkin. You've got a lot. Carlson kind of stands on his own. Like I looked, I tweeted about this earlier when I was researching for this podcast. I found a list of all defensemen of all time and their points per game. And Carlson is ninth on the list. He has 0.819 points per game. Uh, so you know, number one on the list is Bobby Ord. You've got Paul Coffey, Dennis Podvin. But I was looking at uh, this list. It's on uh, QuantHockey.com. They show the years that the players were born. And I'm looking down the list, up until the top 24, every single player is born in either 1970 or earlier. And then Eric Carlson just stands out at ninth, born in 1990. Even 1970 is like young people. Like that's Nicholas Lidstrom, Sergey Zubov. Most of these players, like Paul Coffey's 1961, like Ray Bork's 1960. So it's like- So Elon,
0: different... mm-hmm. Elon, are
1: yeah, you telling like,
0: me that every other guy who scored better than Eric Carlson
1: in points per game played in the 80s? Yeah, basically, <laughs> that's basically what I'm saying. Like, it was like a different league. Like, you look at these clips of Wayne Gretzky scoring one of his whatever 900 goals, and these goalies, like, were they even trying? They like lift their leg up a little bit when he like takes a slap shot from from the circle. So. Uh, I think it was a different league. So Carlson comes in through like like a good stretch where there wasn't that many goals being scored in the NHL. Like we're talking about like, you know, including the year where Jamie Benn wins the Art Ross trophy with like 80 something points. And Carlson just comes in and becomes one of the highest scoring defensemen of all time. And then I guess the other thing I'll say is, yeah, I guess you already kind of touched on it. Stamkos, I was actually surprised. For some reason I had it in my head that Tampa won a cup at some point while Stamkos was there. But he hasn't. He's been to the finals once against Chicago, but he doesn't win a cup. He was a big part of any playoff run they had, obviously. But I remember that. This is going to be such a Homer Ottawa Senators fan thing to say. But like that uh, almost cup run that the Sens had in 2016-17, where they make it to the conference finals against Pittsburgh and then lose in overtime in game seven. uh, Eric Carlson was like carrying that team. Like, so much. I remember Brian had Travis Yost. He did an interview with him on our podcast during the playoffs. And it was, like, basically when you looked at the underlying numbers, basically whenever Carlson was on the ice, the Sens had a chance to get a goal. Like, you know, they were, like, winning the Corsi battle. And then when Carlson was off the ice, it was, like, survival mode. It was just, like, try not to let in a goal until Carlson gets back on. And their only chance of ever scoring or doing anything Was just waiting for Carlson who played 28 minutes a game in that in that stretch and he had 18 points in 19 games in that playoff run so it was just like I it was really impressive to see just a player pretty much take a team on his back like Craig Anderson was good and it turned out Mike Hoffman and Mark Stone were good but Eric Carlson just beasted it in that playoffs
0: yeah that playoff run he's doing it all on one leg too and you wonder if this is why his career from then on isn't quite as good and why he may not age as well as Stamkos does because it's almost like Kevin McHale in 88 where he plays on a broken foot trying to get Mm. the Celtics back to the NBA finals. And then his career is never the same after like you can do a number on yourself doing these heroic acts. And yeah, he, he absolutely dragged that team. I mean he's he's only got two Norris trophies, but Drew Doughty's on. one Drew Doughty's one Norris trophy should be Eric Carlson's. It was Eric Carlson's best season. And Doughty they decided to give him a lifetime achievement award at like twenty-eight.
1: <laughs> the thing is like Carlson like it's obviously not his last couple seasons haven't been as good the last his first year in san jose he ends up with 45 points in 53 games which is a 70 point pace this past season carlson before he finally went down with that finger injury had 40 points in 56 games that's a 59 point pace and everyone's like oh eric carlson's down like he's not a star anymore that's like higher than drew Doughty, and i think every one of his seasons except for maybe i think dowdy had a couple 60 point seasons but you know like like carlson's bad year is still more po- and obviously people say that there's more to hockey than just scoring points. So I think it definitely helps to, you know, have the puck and score goals and, and pass, the, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, Carlson, even in a down year, is still getting you almost a 60-point pace. And who knows? I, I still have faith. Like, I don't think he's, like, the premier defenseman uh, offensively in the league anymore. The, 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 the answer to that question might still be in this draft. We've got a couple defensemen coming who might be the answer, who's the premier offensive defenseman right now in the league. Uh, but yeah, Carlson. I love him. He's had an amazing career and I, I can't wait to see what comes next. Hopefully he could take this extra time off, heal that finger, heal whatever else he needs to and, and come back strong.
0: Yeah. And just to make one last point, I don't have any more ammo on Stamkos, but I'm going to argue against myself for Carlson for just a moment if we're telling the story of kind of how we got to how the NHL is played in 2020, I don't think you can tell that story without talking about Eric Carlson because you mentioned his value relative to position is crazy. Like he is 1000% the best defenseman since Nick Lidstrom And he doesn't play defense the way that most guys play defense. And he was so good, so palpably good. Mike Green, he never gets a Norris playing a similar type of game, but he's not as good as it. As Eric Carlson is. So when Carlson comes along and he's basically like he's playing this rover type position, and it's it's all offense, and maybe he's not as good in his own zone, but it doesn't matter because he drives play so well as an offensive force, and, and what he does in that way is how we want all defensemen to play now. Like, really. And we probably don't get there without Carlson, and he just changes the way that everyone thinks about defense
1: all right i'm sold First overall, Tampa made a big mistake. Should have taken Eric Carlson. But Stamkos like, has had an amazing career. I did want to point out a couple just random tidbits. First of all, one thing about Carlson, can you guess? This is probably not good content for me to ask you. Can you guess? And then the answer is like some obscure player that you're obviously not going to guess. But I was looking into who was running that Ottawa power play. So Carlson's rookie season is 2009-10. And he only has 26 points in 60 games. He's, he's playing 20 minutes a night, but obviously you know, the best is yet to come. Uh, he wasn't getting the most power play time. Uh, the player on the Sens who was running that power play before Eric Carlson came along is someone... Joe in- Corvo. Uh, no, I should have let... Okay, for now I'm going to let you guess, but no, it's Philip Kuba. Oh, and- yeah. No,
0: he's... Uh, he, he ends up getting them... Oh no, he got traded to them for Andre Mazaros, and I think they got like a first-round pick out of the deal as well, something like that uh-huh. from Tampa Bay.
1: Awesome. Maybe you'll cover that trade in
0: another one of your podcasts. Yeah, and then, yeah, I can't remember. I stumbled upon it. Anyways.
1: Then uh, going to Stamkos here, because I did have some stuff I wanted to say about him quickly. Uh, it's, it's okay if we go for like five hours for this podcast, right? Like no one has yeah, to Yeah, absolutely.
0: No one is going to complain. Everyone is in lockdown, just bored out of their mind.
1: Yeah, Throw it okay. on while you're cooking. <laughs> so Stamkos, he wins the Rocket Richard twice. He scores 45 goals in 2010-11. Or sorry, no. He scores 51 goals in 2009-10. Then 45 in 2010-11, which isn't enough to win the Rocket Richard, And then he gets to get in 2011-12 with 60 goals. Uh, that year, 2010-11, I was just curious, about, like, who broke the streak? Like, who's the player who won it that year? And the name surprised me. It wasn't. Corey Perry. So, again, yeah, Corey Perry. And then I was like, where was Ovechkin? Because Ovechkin is coming, like, we we're talking about, like, going into this draft. Ovechkin is coming off a 65-goal season. Now, just a couple years later, Ovi only had 32 goals. And like, and he played the full season. Played seventy nine games. Is that so the know. Dale Hunter year? Uh, I I don't know. Like he he didn't get injured, right? Did, there just...
0: there was some we're playing defense now.
1: Ov oh. years where everyone thinks it's it's over for him,
0: and then surprise, it's not.
1: Yeah, well, that's good. Like, uh, hope that's good that didn't last. I, I I thought it was very surprising. So I guess that makes sense if they tried to make him play a different game. Don't do that. We're, he's still got to chase that Gretzky. Uh, award uh, record so yeah, yeah I think
0: every single year from like the year that he's minus 37 or whatever I have an article before the season starts where I'm pr- projecting some other guy to take the crown for Movi. and guess what no one ever did and I'm an uh, idiot
1: so sure- ne-
0: no one ever forget that I'm an idiot
1: yeah, well, maybe you were right this year. Uh, Matthews and Pasternak were right there with him. Who knows who would have ended up winning the Rocket Richard if the season would have finished. Uh, also with Stamkos, I guess, it's just a question we'll never know. But like, like you said, he was playing with uh, Martin St. Louis for you know, a really good stretch of his career when he was having these huge seasons. Then he kind of slows down for a couple years. like only but 72 that's post point. leg break, right? Well, well, he has 2014-15, he has 72 points. And then in 2015-16, only 64 points in 77 games. It's almost a full season, but he doesn't have St. Louis. He's playing mostly with Ryan Callahan and Killorn. And then it's the next year where he breaks his leg and only plays 17 games. And then the following season, like you said, he's got Kucherov with him and they're going nuts. And now he's like a 90-plus point player for the last three seasons. So the only time that he didn't have a superstar to play with on his line... He was more like 70-point guy and not like 90-point guy. But obviously, who knows? Because like, there's a lot of other factors that go into it. But I do wonder how much Stan has benefited from playing with either St. Louis or Kucherov along the way.
0: Right. Well, he's a shooter, so he needs a setup, man.
1: Yeah. yeah Ov's always had Backstrom. It's impressive when you see, like, you know, Connor McDavid playing with... Like like Zach Cassian and like some nobody, and he's still able to you know do it all by himself. Like I don't know. So I guess it's like if we're tiering like the best players of all time, I feel like that knocks Stamkos down a little bit because we haven't seen him ever like carry it. But good for Tampa Bay that they never, or that for only a short stretch did they make him have to do that. Like it's that's how you build a successful team. That's why Tampa's so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so we're
0: two picks in. Yeah, yeah, we didn't mention it, but LA. If Carlson goes one, Stamkos goes two. At number three, you're picking for the Atlanta
1: Thrashers. So, yeah, this is tough. Like, we've got – I don't know if you agree with me. I think there's four defensemen now that I would consider as the next four picks. And I just don't – I think it's, like, a real argument could be made for who goes before who. Okay, Um, and
0: I bet that we're going to disagree
1: on who those four defensemen are. But we'll let that play out. It's just a teaser. you've got Justin Schultz in there. I know it. but okay, I think tell me if this is too crazy. I kind of want to go with Alex Petrangelo. Is this a shock, a shocking pick, or is this like a reasonable pick?
0: No, is I don't it, think it's I don't think it's unreasonable at all. So when I had Dom Lutician on the podcast doing the two thousand and three redraft, he did homework and he ran the numbers on the game score value added for all the players from the O3 draft. And I figured, you know, we talked about it. The, all these guys came in in an era of having analytics. So we have game score value added for the entirety of these guys' careers. And Doughty has, the monster sophomore season where i think he's top 3 in Norris trophy voting and he scores like 59 points and then he's re- he's really high up there in his third season that's the last time he appears in the top 10 for game score value added in any season and other guys that we are talking about including Petrangelo have seasons where they're finishing as the number one, number two, Eric Carlson's in their eight straight seasons. Um, and Petrangelo's in their five seasons, Roman Yossi's in their five seasons. So Doughty has this massive reputation and it ends up getting him a Norris vote in a season where was he even a top 10 guy by game score value added? He wasn't, I don't want to be pure stats based, but Doughty, is he even a top five defenseman in this draft?
1: Hmm. Okay, well, that's, that's a good tease. I want to know who you're... Well, I think, I think he is, but I'm curious to know who you think else slips in there aside from the four other defensemen I'm thinking, or I guess three now that I've brought up Petrangelo. Uh, okay, so I guess the reason why you've already given me some ammunition, but I guess I'll continue trying to justify my Petrangelo pick you look you look through his career first of all he leads the team in defenseman scoring 2010-11 he had 43 points he wasn't eligible for the Calder that year like I said because he had short stints in 2008 and 2009 uh so then Jeff Skinner I I wonder who would have won the Calder that you're like Jeff Skinner wins the Calder in 2010-11 with 63 points 31 goals And, you know, Petrangelo as a defenseman with 43 points is, I think that's pretty comparable. So I wonder who would have won. Uh, So then Petrangelo goes along with his career. Like after that season, he's no longer leading the Blues in defenseman scoring because Kevin Shattenkirk is there and he's like running the power play and he's, you know, building a reputation as maybe one of the best power play defensemen in the league. Like Shattenkirk was getting so many power play points every single year. But like regardless... Petrangelo is still coming along, getting, you know, like 51 points in 2013-14, 45 points in 2014-15. This is like not like this is rare for a defenseman who doesn't even run the top power play to get all those points. And obviously he played big minutes. He's like a 25 plus minute guy for pretty much his whole career after the first couple of seasons. And uh, yeah, he's still getting points. I my impression is that he's good defensively. Then. Kevin Shattenkirk finally leaves, right? So there's the 2016-17 season where Petrangelo is named the captain. Then Shattenkirk gets traded at the deadline to the Capitals. And we'll actually talk about the player who Shattenkirk displaces when he goes to the Capitals in a little bit. Uh, but in the meantime, Petrangelo, everyone thought, by the way, that Colton Pareco, or at least from what I recall, like playing fantasy, is everyone was waiting for Colton Pareco to get his shot. Like they were saying, oh, once Shattenkirk's gone, it's going to be Pareko and he's going to, it's going to be his ball. He's going to roll with it. Petrangelo will continue doing his thing from the second power play and getting a lot of even strength and like shorthanded minutes. Uh, but no, like Petrangelo gets the job. He actually got uh, five goals and 13 assists for 18 points in 20 games in that season after Shattenkirk got traded, it was like he was having a decent enough season in 2016-17. He ends up with uh, 48 points, but it, like he turned it on big time. It was like once Shattenkirk left, he was like yoink, this is my job now. He like crushes it for the rest of the season. And now like these last three seasons, we've got 54 points and uh, 41 points, but that was only in 71 games. And this past season, he was on pace for over 60 points. So a very strong offensive defenseman, I especially once he gets you know the opportunity. Plus, he's got the cup. I think it was a big part of the Blues Cup winning team. I don't know how much we want to weigh things like that. Uh, so, yeah, then, you know, obviously, I guess the comparison, well, you're making it easy because you're saying maybe Dowdy doesn't even belong in the top five. I was going to say, like, Dowdy has this great reputation. I don't want to say anything bad about Dowdy, even though he stole Eric Carlson's Norris trophy. But Doughty, uh is always on a team with Antje Kopitar, who's known as being one of the best defensive forwards in the league. And he plays on, a, like, a Sutter team. That's super defensive. So you have to wonder, you know, how much credit does Dowdy take for the King? Like, obviously he deserves a lot of credit. He plays like big minutes. He's the main defenseman on the team. But, you know, I don't think Petrangelo or the Blues were known for being an especially defensive team. And Petrangelo also has, you know, seems to be, I don't know. So I'm voting Petrangelo. And and, uh, hopefully it's justified enough.
0: Yeah, the Thrashers franchise certainly would have been much better off had they taken him instead of Bogosian. And yeah. just, a, just a couple more pieces on Petrangelo. He's in the top five of Norris voting two times. He gets Norris votes four other times. He was probably headed for another top five finish this season. Uh, second team all-star a couple of times. So he he hasn't gotten that career achievement award that the Norris seems to kind of be turning into. For some of these guys, it seems like every guy who's really good for a long time has to, has to win one because otherwise how could you go to the hall of fame? But there's lots of guys like Shea Weber. No one thinks down on him and he finished twice a couple of times, but he's never won the Norris trophy and everyone recognizes him as an elite defenseman. So I don't think Doughty needed one. I don't think Petrangelo needs one. There's no shame in being number two to someone who's, as fantastic as Eric Carlson. Um, Yeah, I think that puts to bed Alex Petrangelo at number three. So I'm up picking for St. Louis at number four. And there's three names. I'm going to throw the names out there that I am considering for this spot. And Doughty is one of them. You know, I've crapped on him enough, but we're talking about the absolute, upper echelon and it's not like he hasn't been one of the best defensemen in the league for a very long time, including some seasons where a very good argument, he was the best guy, just not in his Norris trophy year. Um, The thing that really sells it for Doughty is that he is, he passes the eye test so well, right? Like he's, he blends all those all those things that old school people love. He, he plays physical, he's hard defensively, you know, he, but he's got that big shot. And then, but offensively, he's also like, he's, he's pretty slick with the puck. I remember when he was a little bit more mobile, it was him and Duncan Keith constantly doing those rushes and then cutbacks that teams couldn't defend because they were, they were so much ahead of, of everyone else in terms of their skills and you know he could really rush the puck as well in his earlier years so he blended a lot of, of both things but i think that at this stage in his career he's still very good but there's a guy who's still getting better and that's roman yossi
1: so i think i'm gonna go with roman yossi at number four i can't argue with it uh um... I will say about Doughty another thing. Now that we've like sort of yes, yeah, said the bad things, now to turn it around a little bit, I threw out there, I posited that maybe Dowdy could be a little like overrated defensively, just because of the system he plays in and being on a team with Kopitar. But for, at the same point, you could say that maybe he's underrated offensively because of the system he played in. Like maybe if Doughty was on a more offensive-minded team and if he was like given a role. Of being like, you know, like more freedom to not like those LA teams, right? It's kind of like give up nothing, try to capitalize when you can. Like, that was sort of the LA team that won the cup a couple times. So, who knows, like, if Dowdy could have, you know, had more points in his career if he was on a different team. So, but yeah, Roman Yosi, I think, is like a great pick here. Do you want to just throw out who the other person? was, or should I just, because uh, I kind of was thinking, I'll just say it, because we've already hinted at this guy anyways, Roman, Yosey, and John Carlson were the two I was kind of trying to
0: decide so, between. So, I don't have John Carlson there.
1: Oh, is there another and defenseman? I will save it for when I'm up
0: at number six, but at, at number four, I just want to say a, a few things in response. You said that Doughty maybe overrated defensively. I think that was true early in his career when he was on those juggernaut Kings teams. And I think now that he's aging, he's turning into more of a a defensive guy and certainly they don't have nearly the same level of talent. So he's, he's aging actually quite gracefully as more of a defensive defenseman. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: he just, he just isn't keeping up the offense with some of the other guys. And on Yossi, like we talked about Eric Carlson being this Rover guy and that's, that's exactly what Roman Yossi is. That's his job is is to rove, is to jump up into the play as much as possible and try to poke holes in the other team's defense and overwhelm them. And certainly he's, you know, he's so slick with the puck. He can rush it himself. He can pass it. Like Petrangelo, he's been in the Norris top five two times. Again, probably headed for a top five finish this season as well. Norris votes in three other seasons he made a cup final with the Preds They, you know they didn't win it but he's been on in the mix on elite teams as well
1: yeah Roman yosi's is awesome like he just has like uh looking at this list of you know defensemen and their points per game in their career Roman yosi's is next in terms of people in this draft and of people born uh, you know like past the 90s or like let's say even like mid 80s you got Carlson and John Klingberg actually then Chris Letang and then Roman yosi is next on the list so he's had a great career offensively like fantasy wise I don't know how many of your listeners care about fantasy hockey but he's great for some peripherals like he blocks like you know so he plays big minutes like he's clearly a leader on the team uh, now with P.K. Subban and obviously Shea Weber gone like he really is like the you know, main defenseman, I think that they do have other good defensemen on Nashville, but like Roman Yozy is the guy they're leaning on. And yet he was totally up to the task this season. Like even in a season when Nashville wasn't their best, he's still, I you know, whatever you want, whatever stock you want to put in plus minus he's a plus 22 on a not great team. So obviously he's helping this team more than, well, obviously he's helping the team more than hurting them. Like Roman Yossi is awesome. I, I can't argue with the pig. He's great offensively. And it seems like he's also just a solid minute muncher on the team and yet, also, I, we keep going back to, but you say interesting things that I want to respond to. When you say that Doughty now later in his career is maybe developing to more of a defensive defenseman. It's, it's tough. Like we, I, I want to know now how he would do as the current version of Doughty on a good team. Because now how do you judge on this L.A. team where they let in a ton of goals? Like they're terrible, but I don't want to blame it on Doughty. I, I blame it on like the whole team, not having anyone for him to, to play with. That's very good. Uh, Well, they've got a loaded
0: prospect pool, so maybe we'll find out real soon here.
1: Yeah, we did a podcast recently with Lisa Dillman from the Athletic talking about the future of the LA Kings, and yeah, lots of uh, names of players who I currently haven't heard much about, but hopefully we will over the next few years. Uh, Okay, so you took Yosi. Anything about him before I make my next pick?
0: No, let's go number five. Toronto has traded up. Who are you going to pick?
1: I think you got to stick with Luke Shen, right? No, okay. I I mean, it sounds like you'll disagree, but to me, it seems almost obvious to go John Carlson. Like, unless you're going to go with a goalie here, I feel like John Carlson's had an amazing career and and he reminds me a lot of Roman Yosi. And I think right now going into next season if I were to bet on like, who are the two defensemen who are going to battle to have the most points of all defensemen in the league, I would say it's between John Carlson and Roman Yossi. And then maybe you have like a Dougie Hamilton. If he plays a full season, we don't know what he can do. Uh, but Carlson's had like a great career. I guess he didn't start it like super notably. So maybe that like is going to cost him some points. Like Roman Yossi started later in his career. Like he started when he was older. So maybe he got to skip those like 37, 32-point seasons that John Carlson had when he started up. But at some point, when Mike Green, I guess, leaves and John Carlson takes over as, like, the main defenseman on the team and and running the top power play with Ovechkin and everyone – like, he really turns it on. He gets 55 points in 2014-15. And unfortunately, he has injury in 2015-16, but he's pacing well. Then 2016-17 is, like, such a weird turning point year for John Carlson because that's the year where partway through they bring in Kevin Shattenkirk. I guess they decided that John Carlson, like, isn't the guy that's going to lead them to a cup. Even though the playoffs before, in 2015-16, 12 playoff games, and John Carlson had 12 points. So he had a good playoffs the year before. But was they bring in Shattenkirk doesn't work out, you know, they don't win the cup, whatever, Shattenkirk does fine. Then the next year, it's kind of like what you said about, uh, who was it? Like a player, that Bodker or someone that like started in the te- on the team that had to go to the minors and then finally comes back. So it's kind of like with John Carlson. They're like, yeah, okay, yeah, so fine. We took away your top power play, but no, we really actually do like you in here. You could have it back now. And he just like runs with it. Now these past three seasons, 68 points, 70 points, 75 points, like this year, he has 75 points he didn't even finish the season he's already at 75 points in 69 games. So who knows what his upside is. And so maybe I'm drafting here for maybe one of the first times in one of your redraft podcasts, like looking maybe even a little bit more to the future than the past. But like if I'm thinking like what player would I want on the team right now, I feel like John Carlson might be the best one. He has so much upside. And I don't know, we've just started seeing even that maybe there's even an untapped upside from what he was doing this season. Well,
0: you're talking pure offense. Yeah, that's true his defensive game he's more the mike green out of this group than anyone and you know with that well-oiled machine in washington how many defensemen could we take off this list and plunk them in there and have them do what carlson's done
1: yeah that that that's a yeah it's a very fair point i will say counterpoint It looks like he plays a lot shorthanded. So maybe he's not good at it and they just put him there anyways. But that usually is an indication to me that the coaching staff thinks he's okay. Like he plays around 50%. uh, Actually not this season, this season, I guess Washington decided to make him really focus on offense. Maybe that's why he has this extra breakup before that I'm seeing around 50% shorthanded time. And you know, he's known for getting a lot of blocks. And I know like some people say that, Oh, if you get a lot of blocks, that means you don't have the puck. So that means actually you're not so great defensively, but I think, part of a defenseman's job, right, is to try to block shots and for someone who's also like a big offensive contributor, it is impressive to see him also stepping in front of so many pucks. So, yeah, he's not like going to be the best defensive defenseman of this draft, but seems like from what I see and I'm doing the terrible eye test of looking at, you know, stats websites, that's my eye test, uh, and know, it doesn't seem so terrible defensively.
0: Yeah, so I can tell you that this season John Carlson is above a point per game. And he only ranks 10th in game score value added, which should tell you something about where his defense is at this season. So he's got all the offense and the defense is kind of lagged behind with it. So
1: he's almost the reverse Drew Doughty. I'm really curious to know who you're going to take now ahead of John Carlson. Well, so I guess that brings me up at
0: number six for Columbus and the fall of Drew Doughty has gone on for too long. So I'm going to take Drew Doughty, but there's one more guy I would also consider taking above John Carlson. But yeah, I, I definitely, I have to take Doughty here.
1: Oh, duh. Okay. I I forgot for a second that Doughty hadn't actually been drafted yet. So this is actually an easy pick. I'm more curious to know who your next pick was going to be after Doughty. And then instead of John Carlson, Uh, but I guess I'll have to wait because then it brings it back to my pick. Uh, and now, yeah, the four defensemen I was talking about were Yosi Carlson, Dowdy, and Petrangelo, as like who I thought were the obvious picks between three, four, five, six. Now I guess it's my pick at number seven.
0: For the um, Nashville Predators,
1: they've traded up. Right. I guess, yeah, it's tricky when you want to think of the team. At this point, do they have Pekka already on their team? He may have
0: just debuted. He's definitely in the system, but the question with Nashville is like, they take Chet Pickard at 18 in this draft, and it doesn't work out that well for them, but certainly they're looking to invest in goaltenders, but we talk about Rene, and they seem to do so well with these journeyman types or they they pluck them out of nowhere types and get awesome production out of them so drafting a goaltender I mean if he's the best player for you then that's who you should go
1: yeah they could always make a trade if it turns out they have two superstar goaltenders which I think they would if they go with my pick which is I guess Braden Hopi who uh like is kind of a reverse John Carlson like he seems to be on a downswing like it kind of like part of me wants, like just looking at the goalies, like part of me wants to go Jacob Markstrom right now, just because as of right now, it seems like Jacob Markstrom is actually the the better goalie in the league. Like actually both of them are unrestricted free agents this summer. I'm curious to know who do you, like who do you think is going to get more money this summer between Hopi and Jacob Markstrom?
0: They both might collapse under the weight of the Brinks truck that gets backed up to their house. But uh I would bet that it's Holtby. He has such a longer track record. He has to be the pick over Markstrom. Markstrom's been good for two years. It takes him forever to get good. Holtby is already starting to become bad by the time Markstrom's getting good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. From when Holtby comes along at the end of the 2012 season and, and takes over the reins going into that playoffs to their cup run, he's second, third, best goalie in the league behind Lundqvist, maybe Price in there like I think both of those guys win Vezinas during that run so and Holpe wins one as well and he's he's a top five guy for like three straight years like he's awesome he's a bona fide franchise goalie it's just goalies don't really last that long but he has his run and he's really good for five six years
1: yeah, and who knows? I mean, obviously he's only 30 and he's going to be a UFA, maybe in a new environment now he'll, you know, it seems like in the NHL now we're going more towards teams wanting to go with tandems. So maybe if he could be paired up with a really solid other goalie where he's just, doesn't have to worry about fighting for his job. You know, he's just like, it's known, like you got the Halak, with you that you're going to play 50% of the games or whatever. And yeah, but you can't argue with Hopey. I'm looking you look at his numbers like 920 then a 915 save percentage season 2013-14 and after that 923, 922, 925 like three straight years of just one of the best goalies in the league. And then yeah, he's just kind of disappeared. So he has like these like five good seasons and now I don't know what's happened in Washington, but I guess I'm not going to penalize him. So I'll still yeah, take I mean- him here. They're not as strong
0: defensively and his he's starting to his game's starting to fall apart and the game's kinda of changing. It's getting so much more faster than it was. So he has to adapt at a later age. But you talked about putting him into a tandem and wouldn't it be great if he just re signed in Washington and tandemed right. with Ilya Samsonov?
1: I mean he probably won't because Washington probably won't be able to afford to give him the money he wants to get. Like, and he's probably gonna get paid a lot for past performance, like you said. Uh, but I think that would be probably good for him in terms of, well, except for the fact that he's had now three bad seasons in Washington. Maybe he's like, get me out of here. I want to go to a defense. I want to go to Arizona or whatever. Arizona doesn't need a goalie, but you know, maybe he wants to uh, try something else since right now he's coming off his worst ever season an eight ninety-seven save percentage in 48 games. And Samsonov had taken the job from him just like Grubauer did you know, a couple years before, uh, even like Phoenix Copley was looking like he could steal some starts in 2018, 19. Uh, I don't love the pick here, but I feel like you can't ignore just how many great seasons he had. Uh, so, yeah, but the next year, I'll bet you Markstrom will be better than Hopi for what it's worth.
0: Probably, but we'll, we'll see what shakes out. So that brings me up at number eight for the Phoenix Coyotes and the guy I've been teasing he is an analytics darling I think the evolving wild twins would tell you he's maybe maybe should have gone number two um I'm taking Jared Spurgeon
1: wow that's wild he's good I wrote like my note about him I wrote like he's always solid like he seems to like play a lot of minutes he's you know blocks and like gets a decent number of points nothing ever surprising like he's never getting more than a 40 whatever points but jared spurgeon's always around playing big minutes for minnesota i guess he's overshadowed by ryan Souter uh for the last few seasons but okay i'd love i want to hear the argument yeah so i talked
0: about dom's game score value added and i talked about the evolving wild loving him as well because of his analytics and he He's the the modern day type defenseman. like he's got enough offense. He can jump up into the play. He gets about ten goals a year on a team that really is starved for offense, and he's roughly around forty points a year and he plays great defensively for a team that isn't that great at that either. he you know he's he's been in the Norris conversation, but not serious talk for it, but the last four years. He's been in the top 10 and in the top five of game score value added among defensemen as a guy who's not getting more than 40 points in a season. And so take Spurgeon, throw him on that Washington Capitals team, and how many more points could he get getting all those bonus secondary assists? Right. And then you talk about all the value that he adds as a guy who's five foot nine, a buck sixty, soaking wet and yet just plays the angles so well that he's also awesome defensively.
1: Yeah, I, I like it. I I think it's a fun pick and he's been like, like you said, just a really solid rock defensively and still like a 40 point defenseman is, is not so easy to come by. Uh, So sure.
0: Especially when he's getting like 10 goals a year. So there's, there's no like deep secondary assists getting clawed out for, for his points. And you know, I, I'm kind of glad that I didn't have to go off the board to take him mm-hmm. a- ahead of the, the more conventional options, but I'm also quite happy to take him. And I should note that Spurgeon is a sixth rounder in this draft. He gets drafted by the Islanders, but they can't get him signed. So he's a free agent. Anyone could have had him. And the Wild invite him to their camp and he ends up... Uh,
1: being the, the best decision that they ever made. Yeah. And it clearly they've shown him some love because he's going to be getting paid like seven and a half million for the next, what is it? Five seasons. So they extended him cause they like what he's bringing to the table. So how could we argue with that? I, I guess John Carlson might get more, but uh, he's, he's already making more, but uh, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll see how that
0: contract ages. It hasn't even kicked in yet. and these guys are hitting 30. So a small guy hitting 30, it might age poorly if his body falls apart on him, but he's been really good for the past few years. Doesn't have the same lengthy track record as a lot of these other guys, but
1: like, I was definitely not to, uh, you know, now be like, you know, in hindsight, like, by the way, I also like Jared Spurgeon. You're not the like I was planning on bringing him up at some point and I was worried that you were going to be like, come on, Elon. Like, don't talk about Jared Spurgeon. So I'm ha- like, it's good. I-, I think it's a good pick here. Now, I think we should probably do a forward. I feel like we've gone the whole draft since uh, Stamkos only talking about defenseman I and we had Hopi there as a goalie. Um, it's a, actually a tough choice for me. I have two forwards that I'm thinking about. I'm sure you've got some other analytics, darling. That now I'm is, gonna it, come off with
0: the, <laughs> is it Atkinson and Eberle?
1: Yeah, it's those two. Okay. Is okay, that that's also mean? who I have here. Okay, I'm glad. Okay. I don't want to come off as the anti analytics guy on the podcast. <laughs> Uh, What what was that guy who was coaching uh, the Ducks? Carlisle. Like, I don't want to be the Carlisle here. But, okay, so uh, I think it's so tough. Eberle is just like Justin Schultz, right? Like, he seems like he's really good. It also seems like the Oilers didn't like him at some point. They ended up trading him for Well, he shot less than
0: 10% in one season, so they had to get rid of (laughs) him
1: right yeah that the fun thing is they trade him for ryan strome where you're kind of like wow ryan strome for jordan Everly. Everly's so much better but then now ryan strome is really good so it's like not only did the oilers waste Everly, now it's like they also wasted their chance to have ryan strome who's turned out well he's had, been, had a good season this year with the rangers playing with panarin so i don't know who did, who did the oilers end up getting for then ryan strome ryan spooner who they turned into oh. sam gagne
0: so they did the reverse paper clip <laughs>
1: yeah that's Peter Chiarelli
0: thank god he's gone
1: uh so let's go Eberle then I'll pick Eberle like you said he so like he comes out I don't think people remember this he had 76 points in his second season in 78 games so he was looking really good then he's pacing for like 65 plus points for a few seasons then yeah I'm seeing here a 51 point season for the Oilers uh which Also, he has a lower than 10% shooting percentage for the only time he's ever had in his career. He also took the most shots in that season. 2016 70 he takes 208 shots, his career high, but only 20 goals, which is almost a career low. And yeah, I guess that was enough for them to be like, see ya, he goes to the Islanders. And I expected big things on the Islanders. Like, I've been a little bit disappointed. There was even a stretch in one season where he didn't even get on the top power play his First year there, 2017-18, where we were all like, oh man, just wait. Now that Everly's out of Edmonton, now watch him shine when he gets to play with, you know, Tavares. And then he didn't play with Tavares. He didn't even get on the top power play. So that was weird. Uh, but now oh, this past season, he's kind of had a little bit of a resurgence, and he ended with uh, 40 points in 58 games, and he was getting solid deployment with Barzal and Anders Lee, and on the top power play, and yeah, he's looking like a solid like 60 point guy, and I don't see why he won't do that again next season. So yeah, obviously his career is a little top heavy, but still solid here, and yeah, we'll talk about Cam Atkinson. Atkinson maybe has like higher upside. His best seasons, well, no, because his best seasons also go like Atkinson's had a couple big goal scoring years, uh, but. Okay, let's do Eberly.
0: Yeah, Eberly, it's basically 25 goals every single year, like clockwork for him. And whereas Atkinson, it takes him a lot longer to emerge. But once he finally does, he's been more explosive. So if that trajectory continues, then at some point, I would expect Atkinson to be worth more than Eberly, but... If it doesn't and he, he, you know, he falls down after 30 and is at Everly's level, then you'd probably take the, the consistency over a longer period. So, yeah, I, w- I was torn between the two. And if you're taking Everly at nine, I'm going to take Cam Atkinson for the Canucks at 10. And I think we're in an agreement there.
1: Yeah, I think the thing with Atkinson is now when you would have thought like Panarin's gone, like you think he's going to be like the premier guy on Columbus. Like how quickly did he get bumped from the Dubois line for Oliver Bjorkstrand this season? Like Bjorkstrand turned it on and all of a sudden Atkinson wasn't even doing, like he got injured and then Bjorkstrand got injured. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens once we get a full healthy season for Columbus. But I don't even know if Atkinson is a top liner anymore. Or a top power play guy on that team. Now that Oliver Bjorkstrand has emerged, uh, while Jordan Everly seems to be settling into a very nice role on the Islanders, so that's another reason I think I'll take Everly over Atkinson. But does uh, anything else you want to say about Atkinson, or now do we get to the harder? How many more picks do you want to do here?
0: We're we're going to fifteen, and that's only if you want to pick at fifteen. So number eleven, Chicago Blackhawks. Who are you going to take, Elon?
1: Yeah. So here's I think there's like a big dip here. I think now it gets to. I'll probably pick someone who you don't even have on your board or something. Like if you sort these guys by just points per game played, there is one person that's had a really solid career in Derek Stepan, who's has a 479 points in 739 games. And, you know, he was like one of the top guys on the Rangers for a couple of seasons, but now he's just been so terrible. So I, I don't want to pick him just because he's like really like a nobody now on Arizona. And I feel like part of this draft, obviously we want to do a lot about the past, but as a 30-year-old and someone who were dra- – if I'm a franchise drafting a player and I could have the foresight, I'd want someone who's still making an impact now. So I'll go away from Atkinson, and I think I have to go with Josh Bailey. I don't know. I think I'm going to go Bailey. Because okay. he seems He's had like a long career. Like it's like a boring pick, right? But he's had a long career. He's a top sixer now. Uh, I don't know. I don't love this pick. I don't know. Yeah, I don't but think I you should. So. I would have taken
0: Derek Stepan. He was the number one center on some Rangers teams that they do some damage for a while and he's I probably pigeonholed. Blew, blew he's probably pigeonholed as a number one centerman on those teams. Like he certainly I think he only even has one 20 goal season, but you know, he's in the Selkie mix for a few seasons there. He's he's a solid matchup centerman, good Good number two guy. I, like I basically, I value centermen over wingers, and mm-hmm. I would say that Stepan
1: is the Bailey of centermen. Okay, that makes any sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and also Stepan did, I think, have more like because Bailey's really great seasons were playing with, like I said, like either Tavares or Barzal most recently. While Stepan was like doing really well, the- I guess he was playing like Rick Nash. So I don't know. Everyone's going to be playing with someone. But yeah, Stepan had a more sustainable, like he had one, two, three, four, five straight seasons of getting between 50 and 60 points, like over 55 points. So that's a, that's a really good stretch. So, yeah. And
0: he's almost a point per game in that lockout shortened uh, 2013 season, although that's largely PDO driven. Mm-hmm.
1: So what happened now is, do you think he's like this season, he played a ton with Phil Kessel who also, I wonder if he's done, like, not done, done, but you know, like done being a superstar or even a star in the league. Like, I wonder what happened this season. Like we expect, we actually just dropped a episode on, on our podcast. We were interviewing the beat writer for Arizona and he was not a fan of Phil Kessel's season. So who knows, maybe if Stepan could get with like Clayton Keller and I don't know if Taylor Hall stays. Like, I think there is a situation where Stepan can still be impactful on Arizona like that first season for Clayton Keller when Keller had that really good rookie year before he kind of fell off in his sophomore season he was playing with Stepan and they were looking good together but yeah he's he's interesting
0: yeah that team they're still looking for a number one centerman and Stepan is not that answer and I'm not sure if Nick Schmaltz or uh, Dvorak are answers there either so it'll be interesting to see what comes of that but i mean i don't think kessel wanted to be traded so landing himself kind of in anonymity on arizona i could see how his like because we all know he has those bad habits right so if he's not scoring and he's got these bad habits then it'd be really easy for a team to to grow sour on him um so now it's my picks again. <laughs> yeah, you're up at number 12 for Buffalo.
1: Uh, or no, I took 11.
0: Right, yeah, I took Stepon at 12. We're we we're getting a little confused. You took uh, Bailey, Bailey at number 11 for Chicago, and I took Stepon at number 12 for Buffalo. And I wonder okay. if he would have outscored Cody Hodgson in uh, <laughs> in any of those rebuild years. So at number
1: 13, the... Los Angeles Kings, who do you got, Elon? Okay, we're at a point now, Steve, where I just want to impress you with my pick, okay? Okay. I want to say a name and I want you to be like, good pick. So you've told me that you like Centermen, okay? Like solid 40, 50 point Centermen. So I'm going to go, I'm so nervous, with Adam Henrique, okay? I feel, (laughs) oh no, he's, seems like he's, okay, he had a really good rookie year on New Jersey. He had like 51 points in 74 games. And then he sort of, I guess like, well, yeah, he had a terrible second season in the lockout year, only 16 points. But then since then he's been like 44, 43, then 50. Now he goes to Anaheim and like, yeah, he's not a top liner or a great player, but he gets plays decent minutes. He gets power play time. Uh, he, he throws hits. I don't know what that's really like in Fantasy. I feel like he's always a player who I'll have in my, top of my free agent pool you know like I'll grab him I'll ride him for a few games he'll be decent enough and then I'll drop him for the next exciting person and he'll usually still be there for me the next time but it seems like he's had like a really solid career so I guess it's the same sort of justification that I had for Josh Bailey so maybe you could tell me the game score for Adam Henrique and how he's actually really terrible but seems like <laughs> similar to a Stepan in a lot of ways yeah I, I I didn't go that deep on the the game score value added I was only looking
0: at guys who finished really up near the top end in any given season but my question I had Henrik in this spot as well so good pick Elon oh um, you had you were stone face there I really thought that you were unhappy with this pick um my question for you like Henrique, he starts out in New Jersey and Stepan starts out in New York if you just like
1: flop teams for them like does anything change hmm so in that first season, 2011-12, where Henrique is on the Devils and he has that great rookie season, I've got to imagine. I'm just bringing it up now, he's playing with Kovalchuk. I assume, yeah, he's playing online with Kovalchuk and Perise. So that's a really good spot to start your career. And I would imagine maybe Henrique would have had a better career if Kovalchuk would have stuck around, at least like offensively. Uh, and so, if Parise would have stuck around, yeah, exactly. So. I wonder, like, Stepan seemed to do well on Rangers teams that I don't recall being especially offensive. So, I don't know. But uh, New Jersey, then, wasn't a great place to be for a really long time once Kovalchuk and Parise left. So I would imagine uh, it worked out better for Henrik. Like, I think that uh, Stepan's probably happy that he didn't go to New Jersey, is what I guess what I'm saying, aside from the first couple seasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they both go to a cup final.
1: Yeah. And definitely neither of them look like they're gonna be going to a cup final anytime soon. But I guess Stepan is closer. Like Arizona seems like they might be on the cusp of something while Anaheim is really not looking good.
0: Yeah. All right. So number fourteen, the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm not ready to take a goal yet, so I'm going to take Gustav Nyquist.
1: Okay. So it's it's a solid pick. Nyquist is always one of one of these players which I guess I've brought up a lot on this show. Like, I want to know how good he is versus his line mates. Because I feel like all the seasons where he's been really awesome, he's gotten to play with, like, I think he was playing with Zetterberg for a while on Detroit, and then he got a chance to play with Larkin. So that season where he gets traded at the trade deadline, he was crushing it, playing with Larkin on the top line. Then he goes to San Jose, and he totally disappears. And then this past season in Columbus, like a pretty pedestrian season. So, like, he's had, like I remember actually his rookie year, Nyquist came out of nowhere. I think it was, like, halfway through the season, and all of a sudden, he was, like, getting points every single game, and everyone was like, who is this guy? Who's, who's and everyone thought then in the following season, he'd be so great, and then he wasn't as good, you know, as that run in 2013-14. And ever since then, he's always – he's kind of like a Henrik to me, like someone who's always sort of been – would you have taken – oh, yes, you said you would have taken Henrik over Nyquist. Nice. So, yeah, I feel like he's also like he's on the cusp of being a star in the league, but he just doesn't seem to be there. And I feel like he's very line-dependent. Like if I'm in fantasy deciding whether or not I want to add Gustav Nyquist to my team, I'm looking closely at who he's been playing with the last few games.
0: Yeah, so you, you brought up that first season when he breaks in uh, midseason – He gets called up at the end of November and then he scores 20 goals and 48 points in 57 games. And he does team up mostly with Zetterberg, but that's also the year that both Datsuk and Zetterberg finished the season injured. Uh So Nyquist is carrying them through (laughs) the final stretch of the season to a playoff berth that they probably didn't even deserve. They're outscored on the season that year and barely scrape into the eighth seed to keep their playoff streak alive. He ends up finishing one point back of Alfredson in team scoring that year, despite only playing 57 games.
1: Alfredson led the Red Wings in scoring?
0: Yeah. I forgot that. With 49 points that year. That That was a bad team. And Nyquist's year is so good. He gets heart votes. But, like, it's all downhill from that season. But what a crazy one season. So that's that's why I took him.
1: Okay, I like it. And you know, the competition isn't so great here. This was like some really awesome defensemen and now we're sort of scraping. And I guess one more pick and then we're done, right? Yeah,
0: so number 15, Ottawa Senators.
1: <laughs> Take your pick of the
0: Honourable Mentions.
1: Yeah, it's obviously they're not going to be able to do as well as they ended up doing. Uh, if I were to go on defense, I feel like TJ Brody is someone who, I never understood why he got that top power play on Calgary for so long when they had like Giordano and even like Dougie Hamilton at one point, but it was all, it was so frustrating. It was like a wasted, like a a fantasy gold mine, like the top power play on Calgary playing with Monaghan and Gaudreau and somehow it was Brody there, not getting any points. Very frustrating. So he's disqualified because he's annoyed me too much for wasting a good spot. Similar to Nick Letty on the Islanders. I guess we've got Justin Schultz. We brought up a bunch of times. Jake Gardner is like solid enough defenseman. We probably don't want to get into Slavovoynov, who maybe, I don't know. Let's not get into him. It seemed like he was going to be something in the league, but then obviously this... Uh, yeah,
0: talented guy, but uh, committed some,
1: some horrible acts of domestic violence. And yeah, so it looks like he's never going to come back as a result. So See ya. Then we've... Yeah, so I think I'm just going to go with Tyler Ennis, who is again another one of these to close the book on the savers he led the team in points one year seemed like a good player like who knows if he could have done better if he was on a different team and not one of the worst teams of all time uh and I liked how this season he sort of had a little resurgence in Ottawa it was fun and then he got traded to Edmonton and he got to play on a line with Connor McDavid and who knows how that would have shaken out I think the Oilers were going to make the playoffs this year they might have gone on a run I think Ennis would have been obviously not a key part but you know a a, a cog in the top six potentially on an Oilers team. You're an Oilers fan, right? Absolutely. So so what do you think about Tyler? You must've been excited when he came to the team.
0: Yeah. It's nice to have a guy who can pinch hit in the top six for you. And if he's playing lower down the lineup can still get you 15 goals. So yeah, a a solid pro. And he came in with a ton of height as a smaller guy, smaller offensive guy. And he managed to round himself into more of a depth player. And it, it worked out for him. Cool. Is that who you would have taken? I probably would have taken Markstrom at this point.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. The thing with Markstrom, we just don't like, the best might be yet to come. He, he's just having a career year this year at the age of 30. But some of these goalies do that. And then...
0: Yeah. Well, so if you're taking Markstrom for Ottawa, how many times is he getting traded before he actually breaks
1: out
0: right, he's like probably said, not doing it for ottawa
1: markstrom has been behind i wrote this down somewhere markstrom is like interesting because he's been behind like a bunch of different people like he was behind ryan miller and eddie lack in vancouver and like he never got a shot there and he was behind like clemenson in florida like i don't know like he's, clemenson <laughs> yeah like he, he never got a shot and i wonder if he's maybe been, if, you know, if he would have gotten a, a chance to really, you know, work out whatever kicks in his game and and play as the starting or even a backup goalie in the league sometime like consistently in the past 10 years before he finally got this chance on the Canucks, like you wonder what kind of a career he would have had. Because with a goalie, it feels like it's so much about opportunity. Like there's goalies who might have been great that just were always behind, you know, whoever was behind Marty Brodeur in New Jersey. Maybe there was a good goalie at some point on that team that never got a shot and just. Kevin Weeks maybe i don't know <laughs> probably not <laughs> but uh yeah so i think markstrom is interesting and I, i'm curious to see it by the way i have another brother potential to throw at you uh, i see there's a guy who was drafted thomas kubalik is he related to the kubalik who had a great uh, rookie season dominic kubalik with chicago this year i have absolutely no idea okay well uh, that's one for the listeners to to tweet at us and let us know if uh, thomas kubalik is related to dominic Fair enough. We we shouted out
0: some honorable mentions. I'm going to throw out a couple more. Travis Hamanick. We mentioned him a bunch in this pod, but the draft, Tyler Myers, Dale Weiss, the Dutch Gretzky and Jake Allen. They're all, they all would have been good picks at some point in yeah, this yeah. redraft.
1: Jake Allen's another guy like Mark Strick. Well, he's had a chance and he blew it, but this season, he's randomly good. So I wonder if Jake Allen Maybe he just is only good if he's a backup and he's not relied on. Because he was also good back when they, he was in a tandem with Brian Elliott in St. Louis. And as soon as Elliott left, Allen totally fell apart. So maybe like we were hoping for Holtby, maybe in the future he'll be in tandems and be good again. Maybe that's Allen's trajectory as well. But Allen's going to be getting paid nothing compared to what Holtby's going to get. And I feel like they might actually be more similar than people might think. Yeah, you just, you don't hand Jake Allen, you
0: know, the, the keys to the car.
1: Are you going to uh, not give an honorable mention to Mark Borowiecki for that? We, we already, we
0: already showed it a moment.
1: Okay. That's enough then. I feel <laughs> like you're
0: doing best hockey names here, Elon. We said we weren't going to do that.
1: Oh yeah, that's true. I remember I must've said his name incorrectly forever until someone like, it's not spelled Borowiecki. I think no. that's the hardest one. Ottawa had a player once. Remember Stanislav Netskash? Uh, I probably didn't pronounce it that way. <laughs> it was spelled N. Like NECKAR, N-E-C-K-A-R. And for some reason, it was oh, yeah. pronounced Nets Cash. Why? Yeah, that's, that makes that's sense. That's how you do that. <laughs> it's like the Brady Shea of the 90s. All right. Before I let you go here, Elon,
0: I want to throw a hypothetical at you. So, John Tavares was famously one day too young for this draft class. Oh. And at the time, it was a huge question of where he would go had he been a day older. So. If he's in this redraft, where do you think you would have taken him?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm – that's really tough. Like, I'm still going to keep Carlson first because I feel like we, I had my reasons in the vo- value over replacement compared to other defensemen. The argument still holds. I think Stamkos has won more scoring titles or, like, Rocket Richard trophies than Tavares. So I would – I think – Third, though, but no, because then I would have made that I would have had to think through this for a couple of days. But, like, you know, I'm making this argument about Stamkos and how he was playing with Martin St. Louis when he had that first great run, and now he's playing with uh Kucherov having his second great run of his career. Then he had a couple downish years in the middle. I think Tavares has been the type of guy to totally carry lines, like, he made Josh Bailey a superstar for a season. So, I don't know, maybe I would take Tavares, but it's hard. I don't know, what's your answer?
0: I probably would have him third behind Carlson and Stamkos, whatever order you're taking those guys in. I would mention that Tavares, the year that Jamie Benn wins the scoring title with 87 points, he finishes Mm -hmm. one behind him with 86.
1: Yeah, John Tavares is a very good player and Tavares versus Stamkos would have been a fun debate, but we didn't have to have it, which is good Uh, because I think it was a lot easier to just have a demarcation of Carlson versus Stamkos because we have a forward versus defenseman But yeah, once we're comparing Tavares and Stamkos, that's a really tough question. I'd be interested to know, like, who would Tampa Bay have taken? Do you think they would have taken Stamkos? Like, what was the hype around? I guess you're going to do that draft as another podcast. Like, what was the hype around Tavares compared to the hype around Stamkos?
0: Well, Tavares was an exceptional player in the OHL. He came in, like, he ends up having four OHL seasons before getting drafted be just because of his the wrinkle with his birthday and having broken into the ohl as a legitimate 15 year old and he scored i think he scores like 100 points as a 15 year old and he has as a 16 year old like a 70 goal, 140 but like he's an absolute rock star phenom like he was the next crosby at the time so He loses a bit of shine in his draft season. He's not quite as productive offensively, and he gets traded from Oshawa to London, and Mm -hmm. London loses to those Taylor Hall-Windsor Spitfire teams in the playoffs, and people aren't really satisfied with his playoffs, even though he's outrageously good. He just lost to a loaded team. And so he loses a bit of shine in that 2009 draft year, but I think if he's in 2008, like everyone is just, all over themselves to draft him, so he probably would have gone number one, and that that
1: would have been an interesting what if. Who was taken second in that draft where Tavares went first?
0: Uh, shoot, that is Victor Hedman.
1: Ah, okay, well that'll be a fun debate for another podcast. It's basically Carlson versus Stamkos part two, except not really because the Hedman like you know has had a really good career as well. But okay, yeah.
0: Uh, so that was, that was a lot of fun, Elon. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. You've been more than generous with your time.
1: Uh, do you want to plug some stuff before we get out of here? Sure, yeah. First of all, thanks to everyone for listening this far. I feel like I'm going to plug to like the, well, I don't know how many listeners you have, but yeah, I appreciate anyone who wants to listen to us chat like this for two plus hours. But yeah, I've had a really good time. Thank you so much for inviting me, Steve. I've really enjoyed this podcast series and I'm looking forward to listening to this domusician. Musician interview that you just uh were talking about that's gonna be really good uh yeah i'll plug keeping carlson my my fantasy hockey podcast you would think what is there to talk about because the season is paused no one's playing fantasy hockey at the moment so we decided to embark on a journey where we're gonna to try to get an interview with a beat writer or a journalist from every single nhl team we're calling it 31 beats and we're four shows in and i think all four interviews have been really good so we talked to uh, Prashanth Iyer about the Detroit Red Wings, talked to Lisa Dillman about the LA Kings, then we had Fluto Shinzawa about the Bruins, then we just dropped a uh, Richard Morin joint about the Arizona Coyotes, and I, th- I think you- people will enjoy those interviews, and they're not only about fantasy, so uh, yeah, like, check that out, and please subscribe and follow us along as we're going to try to get an interview and talk about all these teams where we're going through, you know, talking about the season that was and, and what to expect moving forward. Yeah, and I may
0: be biased, but I think you guys have the best fantasy hockey podcast on the interwebs. So mm-hmm. check that
1: out. Thanks Mom. so much. Well, you've been, you've been on some episodes, and you've done great as a pinch hitter whenever one of us has to uh, step away.
0: All right, everyone. That's our show. Thanks for sticking around this late into the pod. That was uh, quite the epic run and certainly a lot of fun that we had with Elon Dubrovsky of Keeping Carlson. So make sure you check out his podcast. And if you like what we've been doing here on the Steve Laidlaw Podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, and review wherever you're getting your podcasts. And please, share it with your friends. All right, stay safe out there.